clobbering time. A special edition of Third Degree Burn. I'm Tim Elliott, and with me I have Brian Hughes. Hi, how's it going? And our special guest, Nigel. Hello, Merry Christmas. Yeah. Merry this, Christmas. This is a uh, it's Christmas adjacent show we're having. I thought we would do a Boxing Day in honor of Nigel. We would do a Boxing Day. Uh, episode and we would list our top five best fights confrontations slugfest slugfest you know barney's or uh no uh uh, donnie brooks donnie brooks uh from john byrne and it's either him writing and drawing or writing or drawing byrne has to be involved somehow uh and as our as our uh, only brit on the show I'm going to ask Bron- uh, Nigel to give us a brief explanation of what Boxing Day is. Okay. Ooh, so Boxing Day. So the 26th of December, yeah, the day after Christmas Day. Um, traditionally, I believe, Boxing Day gets its name from the fact that, well, on Christmas Eve, Christmas Day, we would normally have given presents to our family and open those together. Boxing Day was the day when you would take presents or gifts to other people. And of course they would box up the gift, whatever it was, which is where it gets its name from. It's not actually got anything to do with fighting. Uh, and uh, yeah, they would people would go out and visit other people or establishments and take their gifts. I believe okay, that's, that's better than what I had thought it was. And it, I had a complete uh, misconception for years. I mean, I understood, I, I learned this, you know, later in life that this, what you're talking about is, is what it is. But as a younger man, I'd conflated it with other things that my father told me because I know that like uh, the day after Christmas or the end of the month was the traditional French taking out of the trash. Oh. And then there was the, um, there was one, yeah, it was like the, the day after Christmas was just when they took all the, the boxes and everything and, and took them to throw it out and they turned it into a holiday. So yeah. it was a complete misconception on, mm-hmm. on my part. So, yeah. I mean, definitely makes, makes much more sense than, than that. And I like the idea of a separate day for the, the friends and such where you do the family on yeah. one. Well, yeah. my, my experience with Box Day comes from uh, a MASH episode where they, uh, I think in the episode, they've got some Brits in who are convalescing in the hospital and it is Boxing Day. And they explain that the tradition is that on that day, like the, the officers and the enlisted would switch places. And, mm. and I don't know if there's any truth to that, but that's what they said in the story. So all of the, 
officers did all the enlisted work and all the enlisted became the officers and that was mm-hmm. like a tradition so i don't know if there's yeah. maybe it was I back mean, in the 50s yeah but i mean these days well I say these days and during my lifetime <laughs> boxing days uh mostly connected with soccer games mm-hmm. there's usually a full it's kind of like a full calendar of games on on boxing day so if your team if your football team is uh, playing at home usually go to the boxing day game what is we've explained this before because you've been on our show but nigel lives in japan what is christmas like in japan <laughs> in japan right well it's a little bit different. Well, leading up to Christmas, you'd probably think it was pretty much the same. You know, they've got lights and Christmas trees everywhere, and it all seems very festive, like like it does anywhere else. Um, but Christmas basically ends on the twenty fifth of December here. Hmm. They they lead up to Christmas Eve. I think a lot of them, they have their Christmas meal and give any presents that they might have on Christmas Eve. Christmas Day and after Christmas Day, yeah, that's it. That's it? They kind of finished with Christmas, yeah. Just as Christmas actually is just beginning, it's ending here, yeah. I mean, the the 25th, like this this year, it happens to fall on a weekend. Mm-hmm. So here in Japan, it will be a little bit more like a holiday because a lot of people don't work on a Sunday. So there will be a family, there will be a kind of family get together and they'll be able to go out together. But if the 25th is on a weekday, it's just a normal work day. They don't have, they don't get it off? No, no. Wow. I mean, I've I've worked several 25ths when I've had to. Yeah, that would have been a bit of a shock. <laughs> First time I had to work <laughs> on bet. Christmas Day. Like, what? Wow. Yeah. But Nigel, uh, you're yeah. saying that they don't work on oh, Sunday? Hey, there's they don't Kurt. Work on the 25th if it's not a weekend. Got it. They, well, I'm they... on, guys. Hi. Hey, Kurt. Welcome aboard. Kurt Greenfield. Hi, Kirk. <laughs> are we recording? Yes, we, we are. are. What's our we topic started, tonight? Well, Nigel was talking about Boxing Day, and uh, in that spirit, which is not related at all, we're going to be talking about the top five best burn slugfests. So if you haven't already made a list, Kurt, take a few minutes and jot down what you think were the top five slugfests that Byrne has put to paper. And while you're doing that, as it's Boxing Day, I have written a special ode, which I'd like to read out to just set the tone of the topic for today. All right. Titled, Ode to a Burn Boxing Day. The festive season is upon us once again, and our passions for John Burns' artwork still remain. There's so much to choose from with titles galore, whether it be X-Men, Superman, Olmac, or even Fantastic Four. At Christmas, families gather as the church bells chime. We eat, drink, and be merry. It's almost a crime. I'm now really struggling to make this thing rhyme. So let's look at some comics, because it's clobbering time. 
That is great. I really that like that. That is fantastic. Thank you. Thank you see, for that. See how having a Brit on the show just classes the place up? It really does. It really yeah. does. Okay, so uh, what we're going to do here is uh, we're going to go down our list of five each. We're going to do it one at a time. So we'll say, you know, starting at number five. And you guys don't have to do it in any particular order. I don't know that you can say, you know, you could probably say one battle is better than the other. But just let's give them our top five and, and give them what we think are some of the five best battles ever. And, uh, you know, if uh, if you have issue with it, feel free to speak up. With the, you know, I mean, this is about fights. So let's start one. <laughs> and um, we'll let Nigel go last, as he's never done this before. And uh, I guess, Kirk, uh, do you want to – well, actually, Tim, why don't you go ahead and start off first. and give us your number five. Okay. And mine are not in particular order, so this is my well, well, fifth I, one. I'll, but... tell you, I'll tell you one thing that I did, and I already told you guys this before we started recording, uh, is that um, because I wanted to be a little bit democratic about it, I said I could only do one of – certain characters like only one avengers battle only one fantastic four battle only one you know x-men and you know and so on and so forth so you know it's like i if i if i sat there and i thought well there's two several avengers battles or several fantastic four battles several x-men battles i was going to have to just pick one and say that's it to go into my list now you guys didn't have to do that that's just the way i did it and i did not limit myself that way i did not mine was all mine's mine's very emotional. Mine is these are fights that I remember reading when I was into getting the comics that have stuck with me, and I there's usually stories I might revisit. So that's how that's the the genesis of my list. But mm-hmm. I will go first, and some of these are going to be probably not not, not going to shock anybody. They'll be like, "Duh, of course that's on your list." But <laughs> my my number five is. Uncanny X-Men 133 from February 1980. It's titled Wolverine Alone. And this is, of course, oh, any... <laughs> this is any <laughs> anybody who's into the X-Men or even not into the X-Men is familiar with this book. Uh, and my reason for picking is because, one, the artwork is fantastic. It's, it's kind of right in the middle of what's leading up to Dark Phoenix. And it's, in my reading history, this is the the story that showed what a, a badass Wolverine is. And it's been memed a thousand times. Yeah. In fact, I've done no disagreement here. That's that's yeah. just you know, that's that's the great way to start. Two fisted right out the right out the barrel there. Yeah. And it's only and about not- the first five pages that it kind of leads into the rest of the story. But it's that first one where, you know, Wolverine has been dumped into the sewer in the previous issue and then he's kind of like, okay, this means war. And he has that great image from the previous where he pulls himself out of the, the sewer and basically declares war. And then that's when he goes up against the, And it's just him against the goons. But, All yep. right, it's my turn, sucker. <laughs> exactly. Um, You're taking your best shot. Now it's my turn. Yep. Yeah. And the, the when he says, you know, there's a... He's there when he's confronting the last guy because he's kind of ripped these other guys to shreds, and he's trying to psych this guy out. And he says, "Yeah, no." He kind of does a, a, a hairy, uh, dirty Harry on him. He goes, "Yeah, you're only five feet away, and I know what you're thinking, but you know, five meters ain't nothing for Wolverine, and I can cut you up with my uh, adamantium, my freaky adamantium claws." 
You know, and the guy basically <laughs> drops his gun and runs off. And that is so. the moment. That is the moment that made Wolverine. Yeah. You know, the the there there's no doubt in that because prior to that, Chris Claremont kind of wanted to kill him off. And John Byrne, at the time being a Canadian, really mm-hmm. wanted to keep a Canadian on the team. And he, he really lobbied and said, you know, no, there's stuff that we can do with him. And I've got great ideas. And he definitely did. So that worked yeah. out really well. Good choice. Wow. Really good choice. Great good, way to start it's us not off. obvious. <laughs> Kirk, you want to go next or you want me to go next? Sure. I'm, I've got one. Um, right. I don't know about brutality, but uh, I've got a uh, one. I wrote down five here just off the top of my head. And since you've already taken the X-Men 133, I guess we all knew that was going to be there. <laughs> I'm going to go with Alpha Flight number 28 with uh, Alpha Flight versus Madame Delphine. This is the uh, spoilers here. This is the robot that impersonated Guardian and has assembled uh, uh, Gamma Flight. And has suckered, um, laid a trap and suckered uh, um, all of Alpha Flight at the uh, Edmonton Mall um, into a, a trap. Anyway, the end result is she panics and she flees when she realizes that the one person that she can't stand, that she can't fight against, is there, Madison Jeffries. And he basically just says, What's the matter? You afraid of me? And literally takes control of her body and makes her vomit her inside out. And I don't, that's just the most amazing sequence. I just, that's the one that, that, uh, that really speaks to me. So that's my first entry there, or my fifth entry, if you want. Cool. Very nice. Yeah, that's, that's a great one. And I like, I mean, I love that, that whole thing. She's called, called Madame Delphine, right? I believe so. Delphine Courtney. Delphine Courtney. Yeah. Okay. There we go. Yeah, and I remember what what happened to her in the end, and I love that. <laughs> and that, that's it. Madison that's Jeffries. What yeah, to her at the end. She didn't come back after that, did she? she please tell me they didn't resurrect her. I've never. I've I've only read a few things that happened after the burn era. Yeah, right. And yeah. I I I washed my hands of it when they tried to turn the twins into fairies. Yeah, I remember and, that. And We're say not that's talk about that. yeah. Uh, so yeah, I. I, I that that was pretty much enough for me. Um, yeah. I'd left yeah. it off before that. Yeah. yeah, I left when Burn left, basically. Yeah, yeah. same here. That was smart. Yeah. <laughs> well, there was a there was a real good X Men Alpha Flight book that uh, Paul Smith did the artwork on. Oh yes. And um, they they turned that into a a, a Mon- Mando format. Uh, magazine that was really really good. X Men versus Apple. Alpha Didn't it come out at the same time X Men versus FF came out? Yeah, pretty when close. Those, and then around that era, yeah, yeah, there was X Men Alpha Flight, X Men, X Men uh, Avengers, and X Men Fantastic Four. Yeah. And of the three, the X Men Fantastic Four, which had uh, Claremont wrote and John Bogdanov did the art, was just phenomenal. But that was right when Bogdanov was really hitting his stride and um, creating some great artwork that worked great when you dealt with little children. And so he was doing Power Pack. And he came into this book that focused on Franklin Richards and Ben Grimm. And it had this really wonderful segment in it where Ben Grimm is taking a piece of metal and using it like play-doh to make a little cutesy thing for sue storm who's like makes a flower doesn't having, he i don't remember it was, Does i thought peel it was a little it back cute and kind of make a flower kind of out of it yeah 
Maybe. But um, again, it was just, you know, that the, the beauty of his artwork at that time with the stories that were being done for him, I thought was really, really good. Of course, the work that he did with Louise Simonson on Power Pack was amazing. Yeah. But uh, but yeah, that, yeah, all that came out at the same time. And, and we're way off topic now. <laughs> um, so I, I guess I'll throw my number five out there. And so starting with my number five. I picked something that I have only read for the first time within the last six months, and that is Marvel Two and One, number fifty, Thing versus the Thing, for the for the big fiftieth issue, uh, the uh, Remembrance of Things Past, and this is like the Things. It's a Wonderful Life, I guess you could say, in a way. But it you know basically has the Thing going back in time to give the older version of the Thing, you know the the one with the kind of dinosaur hide. Uh, looking thing, uh, the, the formula that would actually turn him back to Ben Grimm since he couldn't use it on himself. And he has to fight himself to get him to drink the potion and turn him back to Ben Grimm. And this, uh, of course, you know, has, has it, you know, the thing goes back to the future and he's still the thing. And that's where they really, they, they, you know, proved to us that time travel, like in the Avengers, doesn't work the way you think it works. <laughs> It's right. not back it has a happy ending, but also a tragic ending for, I guess, Ben Prime, that he helped one Ben, but he's still stuck. As the yeah. Player. And to help him, he had to beat him up, but good. <laughs> and he got one of the best It's Clobberin' times from him right there. Yeah. One single page full splash punch of Ben beating Ben. Mm-hmm. It's got some beautiful artwork. Yes. And, yeah, and this is this is the one time that I really appreciated uh, Joe Sinnott doing the inks on Burns because uh, it didn't seem like he pushed Burns' art as much as he did in the Fantastic Four books. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's nice. The artwork in that one is very nice. Mm-hmm. And so lots there's there's quite a few there's a few splash pages which are nice, and then I like the way during the Fight anyway between the two things. Uh, he never does more than three or four panels at the most. So yeah, it's get some really nice big clear artwork there. Yeah, he gave you a lot to chew on, a lot to yeah. enjoy. And you know what I said it, just a couple months ago when I first because I, I didn't always plan to read this one and I don't know why I never got around to it. And so I finally read it. And then as soon as I read it, I posted this comic book is the reason why we read comic books. It's the reason why still today I go back to comic books and read them. And I mean, again, I go back to this era and the books of that era. But this is why it's it's just such such a great story that that takes you all over the place. It runs a gamut of emotions, but at the same time, it gives you a great slugfest, a great fight between two titans that just happen to be the same guy. Yeah. Well, it, it's, it, it's simple. It's simple, but very effective. Exactly, and it yeah. harkens back to yes. kind of the 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 Kirby uh, Lee stories that explains shows why the thing is a great character because he is. He's a hero because he's doing he's doing it for selfish reasons. Let's admit he's going back in time to try to save, save himself. But in the end, he's happy that he was able to help this one guy that maybe can have a different life than the one he's got. So that's why he's always kind of this tragic hero because he does the right thing, even though he's kind of got the, you know, 
the short end of the stick when it came to handing out the powers when the FF, you know, went up into space. But, mm -hmm. yeah. Doesn't he say something to the effect of, I guess Reed was right, you know, time travels like a river. I may have helped him, but I couldn't, I couldn't change my past. Otherwise, I wouldn't be here. Right. Doesn't he say something like that? It's, I think it's that theory that every time you go back in time, you create a tangent, so you can never really change yes. your own history. Right. Yeah, but but you remember his last little, you know, last little bit there was kind of a joke. But at the same time, it was kind of cool. It was like after seeing my old self face to face like that, I don't feel so bad about this kisser I got now. Heck, compared right. to him, I'm a regular Robert Redford. Robert Redford. Yeah. <laughs> well, Brian, you took another one of my top five. I'm mine. Yeah. Oh. Uh, uh oh. So. I'll keep going. It's going to be a short show. <laughs> <laughs> well, Kirk, what you got? Or did well, you no, Nigel. Yeah. Right, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Nigel's now turn. then, what, what I said to you earlier before we started the show, uh, I maybe have overprepared <laughs> based on how quickly you guys just went through your your first one. Yeah. But anyway, yeah, here goes. So at number five. I, as I said, I was looking for something a bit different uh, to what I've got in the rest of the, the set. And I chose X-Men The Hidden Years, number oh. 17. I don't know if you've read this run at all. Oh, yeah. I'm kind of in That's the middle of reading him. I haven't finished him. That's Isn't it, that the yeah. Beast versus Craven? It's Kraven? the Beast versus Craven the Hunter. Yes. Yeah. Um, Title called Hunter and Hunted. Um, just to set the scene, in the previous issue, while the X-Men are away on another mission, uh, we see a couple of pages where uh, an unknown person breaks into the mansion. That, that's actually Craven. And he, he's, he's sort of setting traps. And there's no one in the mansion except for an alien creature that they they met on a previous uh, adventure, and and she's in the mansion, and he kind of takes her as a prisoner. And when the X Men come back from their adventure, he's waiting for them, and he challenges Beast to a hunt. He's decided that uh, all the years of trying to catch and defeat Spider-Man has kind of dulled his natural abilities to hunt all these different creatures. So he wants to hone his skills again by hunting the beast. Uh, and then we get to this issue itself, issue 17, and he challenges him to go on this hunt. But of course, Beast's like, well, you know, I don't want to do this. I'm not going to agree to do it. So he says, okay, but I've I've slowly poisoned this uh, avia, they call her, I think, this person who was living in the mansion with them. And he says, so if you don't, if you don't do it, she's going to die because I've poisoned her. But if you, do go, yeah, if you do go on the hunt, choose whether I win or whether the beast is successful, he promises to give the antidote. So, of course, Beast says, well, yeah, what choice have I got? And so that sets the scene for the hunt. Uh, but Craven being Craven, he's he's already been out in the woods setting traps and various things, you know. So 
he's he's releasing the beast and then he's just waiting because the 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 issue starts with the beast kind of going through the woods in the grounds of the mansion and he keeps uh, setting off certain traps which he seems to be avoiding you know like there'd be a pit trap and he manages to avoid falling into that or some things that like stakes that shoot out from bushes and stuff like that and he he's able to avoid getting hit but he's getting grazed a few times with one or two little things but nothing to hurt him um, but apparently all the time that this is happening these these traps are kind of laced with the same poison that he gave to the the girl so the beast is slowly getting infected as well which is dulling his natural senses and abilities and then when craven feels that he's kind of weakened him enough with that then he starts to pursue him and he catches him up and they start to have a fight between them and uh, well the artwork i made a few notes here the artwork here by it's burn and it's inked by tom palmer so the the artwork is really excellent i think it's probably the best artwork of the whole five issues that I've chosen. Um, and, and, and on top of that, the whole thing is drawn and laid out in a Neil Adams style. Mm. Oh, yeah. He's drawing, like, he's drawing his panels and everything in the way Neil Adams did. And it's kind of like full bleed, you know, to the edge of the pages on some of the pages. And those sort of... At an angle, panels, you know, all Those over. Touch angles, yeah. Yeah, it's great. As, but yeah, great only that like... was, that was the, the single thing that I think did in that series. Mm. I can't tell you exactly why, but it was off-putting. After a while, that got very fatiguing to read. But I'm sorry, I don't mean to take away from your review. Go ahead. No, it's okay. I say, yeah, it, I know what you mean, because at times, some of the Neil Adams stuff, yeah, it's kind of like... It's hard to follow. Where do I go next? Especially in the original X-Men run. But, mm -hmm. but yeah, we've got some great art with great panels. And then also, there's some great dialogue as well. As they're fighting, it's like Craven's trying to get him. A beast swinging around using the branches and things to avoid him. And then Craven gives him a whack on the back of his neck at one stage with his elbow that kind of numbs one of his arms completely. But Beast tries to pretend that he's okay. And uh, I said one or two other things. I was just going to read out a couple of things that Beast says while they're fighting, you know. He says it will take more than a transitory torpor of a single extremity to abridge <laughs> the bellicosity of the most exuberant of the X-Men. <laughs> and then he says, I'm sure I can depend on you for an affirmation of my allegation. <laughs> to which Craven just replies, you chatter like a tree full of baboon beasts. <laughs> is, your greatest gift, is it your greatest gift to bore your enemies to death? Yeah. And then he says, you will, you will find such petty distractions have no effect on Craven. That's yeah, great. And then a bit further on, yeah, Craven says, I was, I was wise to select you as my quarry for the hunt. Uh, but there is one area in which Craven will always be your better. And the beast replies, would that be your persistent propensity for referring to yourself in the third person, Craven? <laughs> yes. 
So there's some great lines there. And so they're battling away there. But of course, what's happening is because he's given beast, he's injected him in effect with the same poison. Um, the beast starts to get, well, more bestial. Mm -hmm. He starts to lose control of himself. And then he starts beating up on Craven and he's kind of out of control. Because at one stage he starts whacking into Craven. And Craven has to use his, you know, the, 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 the coat that he wears, like the lion mane jacket. It's got two eyes, hasn't it? Yeah. And he's got like a, he's got like uh, some kind of beams that come out of there because he's used yeah. them against Spider-Man. And he has to use that to kind of blast Beast away from him at one stage because his fury is overwhelming him. And he, he, he sort of blasts him away. And then Craven's trying to escape, but Beast gets hold of him and starts kind of throwing him around a bit like the Hulk did with Loki in the Avengers <laughs> film. It's kind of like... Yeah. Wham, wham. Yeah, banging him around and saying, well, you know, I'm going to beat you to a pulp. But that's when the X-Men have decided to come out and find out what's happening. And Cyclops has to actually blast Beast off of Craven to stop him from killing him. And then eventually between Cyclops and Jean, they sort of calm him down. And they take Craven prisoner. So that's the end of the, the battle. But then they have to let Craven go because they can't sort of notify the authorities to come and take him away because they'll be asking questions about well, what's going on here. You know, why are you at this mansion? Why are you at the school for gifted youngsters? So they say, well, we've got to let him go. But before they do that, Gene wipes his mind of the whole event and then they let Craven go. And the beast just left thinking, but what might have happened? You know, if you had not been there to sort of save me from my beastial rage. Yeah. They get the antidote, don't they? Yeah. Sorry? Yeah, they, they get the antidote. Yeah, he gives them the antidote, as he promised. So everybody who's been poisoned uh, recovers. Yeah. But I thought it was a good sort of one-on-one -on -one battle. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. Two, two characters that you probably would never have thought would have uh, met one another. And, uh, yeah, and fantastic artwork. Yeah, yeah you know, the, the scene where he's going through all the traps that he's got out there, and you yeah. see him, you know, at first he goes over that one patch that's got, like, like all the spears in it. Yeah, it's got and stakes then he, at the bottom. Yeah, and then he dodges all those things. And I'm sitting there thinking yeah. back to the, the Kirby Lee X-Men and all yeah. the danger room scenarios they have where they were mm. all having to dodge stuff like that. And I'm yeah. just like, yeah. well, yeah, he'd be able to dodge it like that's that because that's what they, they did yeah. in the danger room. Yeah. And then he does eventually, he gets caught in a net at one stage, which hurls him into a tree. So that hurts a bit when he whacks his head on the tree. But then he gets out of that. Uh, but that's when Craven decides it's time to start hunting then because he's mm -hmm. a bit more... You know, he's, he's not quite himself anymore. He's getting a bit be, be, befuddled, as he puts it. Yeah. Mm. Good choice. I, I've in the process of reading Hidden Years, but I'm only four or five issues in. Yeah. Uh, so I need, to, I need to check that one out. Yeah, and, and Kirk, just to, so you understand the situation, the Hidden Years didn't get canceled because of poor sales or anything like that. Hidden uh, Years simply got canceled because Joe Casada wanted to do a different type of book, and he decided to cancel Hidden Years. He doesn't like John Byrne. 
<laughs> yeah, he, he liked John Byrne's art, but he never liked working with the man. And he's the guy that basically made Byrne decide to never work for Marvel again. And so what, what title did Casada want to do or introduce? It, it was a Wolverine book, if I if I remember properly. But uh, I, I honestly don't know, because I, at this particular point in time, I was not buying a whole lot of books. I don't think I bought these Hidden Years issues I don't think when I they came out. Rack. I, I bought them much later uh, to finish out my, my collection. Yeah, yeah. I, I, that was a, uh, that was about the. This was like this was April two thousand and one. This issue, mm-hmm. yeah. And, uh, I think this was the only title I was reading by that time. I, I cancelled or stopped looking at everything else. <laughs> this was coming up to the time when I was about to have a hiatus from comics. <laughs> ah, yeah. Whew. Well, that was a good, good one. Pick. I mean, it, and it, it does underscore a great battle. And of course, Bill, Craven is a villain, is someone that you always like to see in a battle. Yeah. But aside from Craven's last hunt, which chronologically would happen long after this battle happened, mm. is the only one we actually get to see him win, you know? So, right. <laughs> but I mean, here, you know, it definitely shows that, you know, the beast who is nowhere in Spider Man's realm of strength mm. at least i don't think mm. you know it was handily able to to really defeat craven well by only, by, only, by, <laughs> only by losing control of himself yeah, yeah. it's kind of like it's the thing that craven didn't anticipate that the beast would become bestial <laughs> yeah well it's kind of burns uh, version of the deadliest game which is yes. a story yeah. that they've done over and over and over in films and such Cool. I'm mm-hmm. gonna check it out. Uh, is it back to me? Yep. Back to you. Yeah. All right. My number four is Action Comics 586, March 1987, entitled "The Champion," and this is Superman versus Darkseid, which is kind of the later half of the book. Uh, and this is kind of in the middle of the Legends crossover, mm-hmm. and it's the the storyline where Superman. Uh, and I can't remember how he got amnesia, but he is Darkseid convinces him and he is the son of Darkseid and kind of becomes his champion. So basically he turns Superman into a bad guy and he's doing all these terrible things. And it's not until Orion confronts him as a true son of Darkseid and with a mother box restores his memory and Superman kind of loses it and goes after Darkseid. And like my previous book, this one shows what a badass Superman is because he knows he's kind of been led astray and he's done some terrible things because his dark side has brainwashed him and he goes at him and uh, dark side, of course, decides to use his uh, Omega beams on him and Superman just chases him all over the city uh, where the beams are chasing him and then he basically veers off when he's heading to Darkseid, so Darkseid hits himself with his own beams. It doesn't kill him, but it weakens him. And then he tries it again, but his his power level hasn't um, recharged enough. And Superman just wails into him. And you, again, this is shows the power of Superman. Not only the power of his character, his physical power. Uh, where he just waylays into Darkseid to a point where Darkseid basically has to retreat. And he summons a boom tube to send Superman back home. 
So that always sure. that always stuck with me about how Superman because it, it it it's the you know he you've seen him as uh, as brainwashed through a couple issues and then in this one he finally sees the light and he screams Dark Side and goes after him and you know yeah when he screamed Dark Side it made me think of the old. Um... Superman who has everything that Alan Moore and Dave Gibbons did when Superman had the black mercy ripped off of him that mm -hmm. was you know put there by Mongol and as soon as he ripped it off and, he's, and Robin says yeah big man in there hurting Wonder Woman he goes Mongol and then he just screams Mongol so loud Robin is flying away <laughs> with his head hands to his ears you know and here you see Light Ray and Orion both just blown back by the power of Superman's scream. I mean, you can hear Christopher Reeve, you know, doing that scream at the end of uh, the Superman the movie in this moment, but just saying Dark Side instead. Well, this is the issues that kind of, because I had not read DC really when I first started reading comics. So when Byrne went to DC, I followed. So that was my introduction really to Superman, to Dark Side, to the Apocalypse, Orion, all those characters that I really knew nothing about. So I learned by reading these issues and legends and all the other crossovers that he was doing. Was this the story where uh, Superman and Big Barda get it on in a skin? No, <laughs> no. We won't talk no, about that. Then. No. This is Slugfest, not that kind of <laughs> okay. thing. Yeah. Well, and the, the part of this that it kind of stuck with me was when, you know, he, he, he tries to Omega Beams on him, he, he dodges him, and then he uses him again. And he kind of starts hurting Superman, but then he... Well, those weren't Omega Beams. Those were yeah, different Yeah, it was beam. uh, something else. But he was... Yeah. Um, he was changing the uh, the frequency of his energy blast to precise molecular structure of Superman. And it's hurting. Superman's kind of... Looks like he's having a heart attack. But then he backhands Superman... Uh, backhands says, um, yeah, they hurt, but compared to kryptonite, it's a walk in a park. So it's, you know, showing yeah. that how painful kryptonite is. Yeah, and then Darkseid just basically says, "Nope, I'm gonna finish this on my terms," and he basically, just, you know, sends him away. Um, so a lot of a lot of the themes on my list are Burn demonstrating the vast amount of power that some of these characters have that sometimes you have not seen before, and he's really tapping into that and showing it through his artwork. Well, that was, uh, I mean, that that yeah, Kirk, you're up, and that I mean, that was a great. Great uh, selection. I'll be honest with you guys. I went through this. I looked through everything I could. Even in my top 15, I honestly had not picked a DC book. Wow. Everything mm. is Marvel. And it's not necessarily uh, old Marvel. I mean, there was some some newer things in there. And, and I'll get – you. I'll, we'll, we'll discuss it as we, as we go. But uh, anyway, go ahead and Kirk. Okay. Uh, again, this is not necessarily, uh, you know, the best slugfest or the biggest fight, but I'm thinking in terms of the confrontation level, um, this is something that, uh, that popped into my head because of the uh, Back to the Bin Boys is recently on Avengers Spotlight, completing um, Avengers Dissembled. Mm -hmm. It made me start thinking about the setup that Byrne did for uh, the eventual payoff in Avengers Dissembled. I'm talking about the Scarlet Witch dismantling the Avengers uh, in West Coast Avengers uh, 57 or Avengers West Coast, however you want to say that. Darker than Scarlet. She basically got him in the palm of her hand, literally uh, for Wonder Man, and uh, she's she's got him all suspended in air. Uh, they've been toyed with by Magneto. They've been um, you know, brought up 
short by the Scarlet Witch. And then in the last installment, we have Quicksilver, who's uh, joined forces with them, you think. Spoiler, he's uh, pretending, but that's okay. Uh, <laughs> the end result is uh, they are literally being suspended um, by the short hairs of their necks, and they're <laughs> totally outclassed. The Scarlet Witch has them by the short hairs, and that's it. Um, they, that doesn't really get resolved because basically she turns and they walk out on them. Um, and so it's left unresolved because Vern walks out on the, on the series and on Marvel, but it pays off when we get to um, Avengers Dissembled and that different creator. So that's the one that I was going to choose. The, uh, I may not have the right issue number. It might be 56. Yeah, it's 56. Now, you're talking about the one where she actually hurts Simon? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's that, 56. That, that confrontation. But when you and said I, she had him by the short hairs, I figured that's yeah. what you were talking about. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm being clever. <laughs> okay, and I, I go with that one because somebody stole my uh, Marvel 2-in-1 number 50. <clears throat> So uh, we'll just leave it at that. Mm-hmm. Well, no, there's some great stuff in there. Um, I, I remember that issue had some miscoloring. Like the, the colored Hank Pym blue, and he should have been red. Costume blue, which should have been red. But um, I mean, they they had you had some really great stuff in there, and of course, it had one of the most memorable moments that people love to talk about, where Wanda does something to Simon, and right. people like to misrepresent it as something other than what it really was. But I mean, she well, scratched him. You're, you're yeah. familiar with that, right? Either way, I mean, I don't think it was ever the intention that he had that she was doing what everyone says she was doing. So, and I'll just leave nice it at that. Nice way to dance around that, Brian. I'm gonna, I'm gonna tiptoe, I'm tap dancing, I'm doing the merengue. <laughs> Sorry, I'm on my second beer. Let's not get smutty. <laughs> yeah. No sex, please. We're British. Yes. <laughs> but but I'm, I'm I'm pleased that you picked something like this, you know, rather than just a, a natural down home Donnybrook. Um, this is you know it's a it's an interesting issue and it's got a lot going in it though. It's not what I would call as much a fight. I think the the most fight is when Hank Pym comes through the wall and Quicksilver knocks him out. Yeah, I was going to say, there's not much of a fight in this particular situation. She's just got them all hanging there. If it's confrontation, I think that uh, Mm. that works as well. We we were real loose with our rules as to what it was. (laughs) Okay, but see, I'm going to get back to, you know, the fight kind of situation in my, my number four. And uh, for that, I'm picking up, it's another team-up book, uh, Marvel team-up, number 70, Spider-Man and Thor take on the living monolith. And this is just great all-out battle, New York City, giant monster, and Thor. <clears throat> and you've got, of course, John Byrne doing the pencils and Tony De Zuniga doing the inks and probably some of the most beautiful inks ever done on Byrne's pencils ever um in that we covered this in a team up with back to the bins is that right tim we did it was a crossover with this and the previous yeah. one which was spider-man the and havoc Man. yeah mm. spider-man and havoc but i mean again you know you, you've got thor just going all out against this giant monster in the living monolith and uh the the kirby crackle of the bound uh, the sound effects abound thor's hammer everywhere and spider-man with uh, catching a ride on it 
It's just all out slam bang fun. Yep. So that right there is good. Is, yeah. yeah, that's my fourth pick. I mean, that was, is a mar a Marvel comic from the Marvel Age of Comics, mm -hmm. right in that that sweet spot of when mm -hmm. Byrne was just touching a little bit of everything left and right. Yeah. And he just could do no wrong. It, was there a better time for him to represent Thor than he did here? Yeah, I think I, there, 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 there are two others, and I picked them both on my list. So, <laughs> so, so that'll give you an idea of where I'm coming yeah. from with my next ones. But yeah, uh, maybe, uh, Marvel Team Up number 70, just uh, just greatness. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, but, all right. That, that, one, that one was on my short list. Yeah. It almost made, made my list. I didn't it. make the final five, but it was on my yeah, short list, that one. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah, it's, a, it's a good one, that one. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, Nigel, is it Nigel's next? Yes. yes. That, Nigel is next. Well, the next one I chose, uh, number four, is from Uncanny X-Men. I chose Uncanny X-Men. 127128, which is a part of the Proteus saga. The quality of hatred and the action of the tiger, the two titles. As I said, I've, I've gone for just looking at the final battle that they have with Proteus, which kind of starts to build up towards the end of uh, issue 127, where... Proteus is heading, well, Moira works out that Proteus is heading towards Edinburgh to, no doubt, kill his father, Joe McTaggart, who was Moira's ex-husband, which is what he does, yeah. He, he's in a policeman's body, I think, at the beginning of that, and then he changes that to a young woman. And Moira gets to Edinburgh before Proteus, though, and confronts her ex and tells him that she had a child with him because he didn't know. So he gets a bit annoyed about that. But she tells him, you know, well, he's coming to kill you, so watch out. And then she leaves because they're going to they're gonna fight otherwise. But just after she leaves, Proteus gets there, and, of course, the first thing he does is basically kill his father and take over his body, um, which then leads into issue one to eight, where the X-Men arrive on the scene as well, because they've been following Moira and Proteus, and uh, he's basically taken Moira hostage, and he starts to use his uh, reality warping powers to confuse the X-Men, like, you know, the the streets are tipping on their side and things like that, and stuff's becoming all liquidy, and everybody's out of proportion. It's a bit like when Angar the Screamer screams, you know. Mm -hmm. Everything's going freaky looking, yeah. Or the movie Inception, years before they figured out That's, how to do those yeah. special effects. That's yeah. true, yeah, with the buildings and everything, yeah, yeah, true, like that. For a while, and then all of a sudden everything goes back to normal. Uh, so they take the opportunity. Storm attacks Proteus first, but he kind of encases her in amber. Um, so she can't breathe, but Wolverine frees her by smashing it with his claws. But he leaves himself open to attack Proteus is coming up behind him. Although I don't know what he would have done, because 
we'd already seen earlier that due to his adamantium skeleton, Proteus can't actually possess Wolverine because he tried earlier. Uh, but it, the metal does something to Proteus, so he doesn't like that. Anyway, as he's about to attack Wolverine from behind, Sean Cassidy, Banshee, he's got a gun, so he, he just actually shoots Proteus <laughs> with the gun. So Proteus opens up a pit underneath him and drops him into this pit. Uh, but Cyclops sends Nightcrawler down into the pit to rescue uh, Sean. Oh, and uh, we got here, gets him. Oh yeah, Nightcrawler gets him out, but he has to. As he's getting him out, Proteus tries to kind of seal up the hole in the floor, so he has to use his teleporting ability. So he teleports up into the into midair with with uh, Sean, and then uh, Polaris actually sort of catches them with her power and brings them down to Earth safely. And then Phoenix, Phoenix goes in and attacks Proteus, starts hitting him with the psychic powers and everything, which looks as if it looks like she's got him on the on the rack at first. He's in trouble. Uh, but then he hits back somehow with his powers and <coughs> makes her feel like she's been turned inside out. So that kind of nullifies her. Um, but that upsets Wolverine because he's still got this thing for Jean, hasn't he? And he uh, he dives in physically on Proteus and actually slashes him with his claws. Uh, and then Cyclops and Havoc sort of surround Proteus. And with, with their powers, Cyclops beam and Havoc's blasting power... They're kind of hitting him. He's in the middle of the two forces. But he changes his form into like a, a powdery form and he just drops off. He just drops down to the earth out of the way. And so they hit one another with their with their beams and their power, which it doesn't hurt them as such, but it knocks them out of the fight for a few moments. And Wolverine's collected Moira and he's trying to escape with Moira. And Polaris then changes back gets the ground to kind of take him up and he chases after them. So he's kind of chasing after them. Uh, a bit like with Terax, when he can make the ground, you know, come up underneath yeah. him and take him along on like a an escalator kind of thing. Uh, and Wolverine's <laughs> got Moira, but Polaris catches up with them and he, he manages to, he knocks... You mean, you mean Proteus? Yeah, I mean Pro, Proteus. Sorry, what did I say? But, yeah. You're yeah. saying Polaris. Sorry, Proteus. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He catches up with Wolverine and uh, he knocks him off and, and he takes Moira. So Wolverine's suddenly falling from a, a height, uh, but Cyclops manages to stop him by using intermittent beam blasts to bring him down to Earth in a painful kind of way. But... I think he enjoyed doing that to Wolverine, yeah. <laughs> Get his own back for all the disrespect he gets from Wolverine. Uh, so then they send Colossus up, because they're heading for Edinburgh Castle now. Edinburgh Castle there on the hill. And Proteus has taken Moira up to the top and they're inside the castle. Colossus goes up there and he tries to attack and destroy Proteus. But he's attacking him physically, first of all. In human Proteus, form. Is use, Proteus is using his powers to try and, you know, disorient him and everything. But Colossus is fighting through, but he can't really do anything 
to hurt Proteus or so it seems but he lets Proteus get really close to him and then he turns he changes to his uh, organic steel form and he's within the grasp of Proteus so he just then he just slams Proteus with his fists and that kind of just dissipates Proteus you just can't take that because all of a sudden Colossus is metal and it just plays havoc with haha no pun intended uh, it plays havoc with his uh, set and yeah, his form and Proteus just kind of dissipates into the air and phew, he's gone. And then yeah, uh, Colossus just comforts Moira and the rest of the X Men come along and, and that's it really. They just pick up the pieces. Yeah, but the fight that ensued, you know, along the way with the different X Men trying to overcome Proteus. It was a good little ride on that final issue. Pretty much action all the way from beginning to end. You know, as as much as I enjoyed this battle in this, it yeah. was the one where Cyclops actually was trying to get Wolverine out of his funk that I was yes. thinking you were going to yeah. pick as, as the great battle because that was so incredible how... <laughs> Cyclops sit there and pull Wolverine into a fight and then Colossus and even Storm. And yes. here yeah. he is just manipulating them and fighting them at the same time. And then all of a sudden it's like, whoa, 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 okay, I'm done. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> well, that that's yeah, that's why I that's why I didn't bother including that, because at the end, it's yeah, the fight is just yeah, to kind of get him out of the funk, the three that had had a bad time with Proteus earlier. Yeah. It's not yeah. it's not the real battle, if you like. You know, it's not the one that's, that's gonna cause the a problem if they don't succeed. Although, yes, Cyclops could have <laughs> got slashed to pieces, I guess. Uh, uh, he was taking a risk there. But, uh, yeah. But that was really cool. And and then the other thing I find really interesting in that one is the scene where Colossus is just about to hit Proteus is it before he turns into his armored form. Yeah. If you look at his character's face, this is the first time I ever really saw what John Byrne said. John Byrne said that his model for Peter had always mm -hmm. been Max Baird Jr. from the Beverly Hillbillies, Jethro. Jethro. Thanks, you. And right there, I can so uh -huh. see it in that image. Yeah, let me see. Oh, yeah. yeah I'm just looking at it. Yeah, yeah just before it turns to metal. Yeah. Yeah, looks like he's about uh -huh. to dig into a bowl of hog jowls. Anyway... <laughs> Now, some some fans have been very critical of this story and said, hey, as soon as it was introduced that uh, Proteus had a weakness for metal, they knew exactly how this was going to end. But mm. I've got to tell you, as many times as I've read and reread this, I didn't see it coming. I did not. It wasn't telegraphed as far as I was concerned. I was along for the ride and the desperation <laughs> that they didn't mm. know what to do next. So, uh, you know, I... Well, I mean, I the know these is, stories are plotted out with a beginning and end. They know how how they're going to resolve, mm. but the best ones you just don't know what's coming mm. next. Well, the, I like this one for that reason. The big yeah. difference between an X Men book and a lot of the other books is that you know when, when it's Spider Man, Captain America, the Iron Man, the other ones, you don't expect them to kill anybody outright in a book. Whereas in the X-Men, Wolverine kills several times throughout multiple issues mm -hmm. leading up to all this. The events in Japan, the, the events in the Savage Land, uh, you know, Wolverine, Wolverine kills some people and he does it later. 
And so, you know, even, even with that, you just don't anticipate it happening in this book. And especially here, you don't anticipate Peter. I mean, Peter attacks him first in his human form because he knows that his metal form is going to just outright kill him. Is there any way to do it without killing him? Unfortunately, he couldn't find it. Well, I think that's probably why they gave it to Peter, because if, to your point, Kirk, if they established, and I always thought the the invulnerability or the, the weakness of metal was kind of arbitrary because he's a he's a being of energy. I don't see how that would hurt him. But anyway, you it's think denser it's, than other things, so he can't go through it. Well, it says it dis, it says it disrupts his energy field mm -hmm. is why it, it destroys him. But or in comics, it just, you know, sidelines him mm -hmm. until he comes back. But they never think, brought him back, did they? Please tell me they never brought Proteus back. They brought back. him back. They brought yeah. him back. They brought him yeah. back. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Which is a shame. I thought I like the character. I, I like these two issues. I think I picked issue twenty-seven as one of my favorite covers because I love that cover of Proteus attacking Storm. Yeah. But by giving it to Peter instead of because you would naturally think, oh, his he's vulnerable to metal. Well, Wolverine's just gonna stab him with his claws or something. They give it to the gentle giant. They give it to Peter, who has the heart of a poet, who you wouldn't expect to kill anybody. And I think mm. that's the well, they flipped it on its head. Yeah. And so that he would deal with it more. Wolverine would kill the guy and, and just go off and have a cup of coffee and not even think about it. <laughs> and Colossus, that's gonna stick with him. He's gonna he's mm. gonna feel that later. So mm. good pick. I didn't I didn't think about these two issues when but, I was making my list. But I like that, yeah, the, it's the, the stakes are high, it's the, the desperation of, yeah, they've got to stop Proteus, and like you say, they, they're struggling to do it uh, and keep him alive. Because uh, actually Moira, it's Moira's son, yeah, and she tried to shoot him herself earlier in the story, um, but Cyclops stopped her. Yeah, so she was willing to kill her own son because he was a monster to save her friends. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. well, but this they... actually was one of my runner-ups. It was, uh, oh. yeah, but it was the, the Cyclops versus the X-Men battle that I would have pointed out. Mm. As, as I was saying there to, to Nigel, it's just, it, that was that was the thing that I, I pulled from him because I thought that was the, again, that was the coolest part of the book to me. Kirk, yeah. mm. they... They bring Proteus back in a X-Men Star Trek crossover book where Proteus <laughs> merges with Gary oh. Mitchell. Oh, oh my. Okay. And who, and who drew that? That wasn't Byrne. No, no, no. It wasn't Byrne. No, no. Out of timeline, you're out. out. <laughs> find, find your way out. No, I'm just telling you they did bring him back. Yeah, okay. <laughs> All right. Uh, back Tim, to him. where... Yeah, number three. All right, I'm gonna I'm gonna discuss the elephant in the room. Uh, my third is Incredible Hulk 316 from November oh. 1986. I, ah, it's a you no got brainer. Mine. It's a no brainer. And I, <laughs> I when I was making my list, I really was not gonna put this on there, but I kept coming back to it, kept coming back to it. So mm. I thought, well, I, I have to put it on the list. Uh, and this is the Hulk versus the West Coast Avengers. It's almost the entire issue is just one big fight in some New Mexico. I think it's New Mexico or Arizona. Yeah. Um, New Mexico. This is after this is like a couple issues that Burns taken over the book and he has separated Banner and the Hulk. So we are de really dealing with a mindless Hulk because Banner is in the hospital fighting for his life, 
and we've got this mindless rage monster. So the Avengers go in just hot and heavy uh, and realize that, well, we can't deal with this guy the way we dealt with him when he was had Banner because Banner was some least a limiting factor. The Hulk having no intelligence or any kind of anything to uh, restrain his anger and the angrier he gets, the stronger he gets. And he just wipes the floor with Iron Man, Submariner, Hercules, Wonder Man, the big hitters. And that's the reason why I picked this because Byrne shows the the almost limitless power and destructive destructive capability of the Hulk. Because at the end of this issue, when uh, Doc Samson comes in and they're like, "Get out of here! You know you're a, you're a lightweight. You can't handle this. Where are the heroes here?" And you pull back and you have that great scene. He goes, look around you. You know, are you really doing any good? And this, the whole town is just way laced. So mm-hmm. that goes into him going after the Hulk as a, because he's responsible for the Hulk being released. So it's just, it's just raw power from when they start to the end. You've got some bits in here with uh, Jennifer Walters dealing with her cousin being in the hospital. But with the fight itself, it's just panel after panel of just, unlimited power being displayed on that's that's why I, I kept coming back to it it's like i gotta i gotta put it on my list this was my number one and i was just like you know thinking about this one first and foremost just because it is the the biggest clash of titans that we saw in that whole era right there mm-hmm. of those guys fighting except for in the issues that come later unfortunately drawn by uh drawn by al milgram uh where the avengers are going after this mindless hulk and trying to defeat him and it goes you know horribly but the 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 thing is to see wonder man in the 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 way he's got him here in the scarlet centurion armor of iron man and then hercules to come in there and and nobody drew hercules as good as burn bob layton's a close second yeah. But nobody could draw Hercules like Byrne did. And it was just freaking awesome. And still, they, they, they've yet to find someone that can fill in those shoes for Hercules in the MCU. And the guy that they did pick is, like, shorter than me. What are they doing? Anyway, that's that's just, you know, my remark I'm going to make there on that. But, Tim, you forgot one thing. You forgot one thing in all that. What? The very, very end, when the Hulk kills burn and danny finger off and and uh uh danny o'neill oh <laughs> he doesn't kill him he just I he know, just hurts him he's hurt yeah, with he the in the fumetti yeah <laughs> yeah the fumetti on the last page <laughs> that is great that, wait is that is that danny finger off or did i get that wrong don it's not don it's don somebody because he calls him don yeah. danny calls him don Okay, yeah, it's Denny O'Neill and Don. I get. I don't know. Is that Don Perlin or could be Don Perlin? I mean, he'd be the assistant editor on the book, whoever it is. But uh, anyway, um, <laughs> that is a great pick. Uh, one of my all-time favorites, right there. That nearly made my top five. It was like between that and another one. Uh, like you say, as battles go, that's got to be the. Real humdinger, yeah. You're not yeah. going to get a better battle than four of the most powerful Avengers at the time versus a mindless Hulk. <laughs> uh, yeah, the, the the battle, the fighting itself is just incredible. Um, it's just that for me, 
Well, because of what, because of the story plot, really, the way it's taken, uh, yeah, right, it doesn't really conclude because Doc Samson comes in and starts fighting with the heroes and Hulk just kind of wanders off. He just you know, wanders like, off, yeah, oh, he does. He forgot does about me, so he just, he just trundles, trundles off and because he's mindless, I mean, he's not really, he's not even growling anymore, he doesn't say anything. Um, and then the story continues, of course, because then it's like they hand the whole thing over to Doc Samson to continue. So it's a bit of an anticlimax after such a good battle, you know. Yeah, it seemed like Byrne, and this is a lot of, when Byrne would take over a book, he would like to, uh, I call, he kind of applies uh, logic to stories. And mm-hmm. like he did with Superman, you know, he tried to logically explain Superman's powers. In this, he's trying to demonstrate, well, this is what would really happen if the Hulk really existed. He would just lay waste to places he's going, and he would cross millions of dollars of property damage. <laughs> and that's never really shown in, when they're when you're, you're, you're doing comics. So I think that was mm-hmm. kind of Burns' idea of this. And he, he probably got a kick out of drawing all of these um, powerful guys oh, just yeah. slugging it out. And then he hands mm-hmm. it over to Rich is Stupid. They would not hand it over to... <laughs> Uh, to Doc <laughs> Samson, who obviously has an agenda here, when he's telling him that I'm the best there is, you know, mainly because he, because uh, he tells him I freed the Hulk, and that'd be like, well, no, you're not, we're not going to give you, yeah, we're not, we're going to, we're going to take you in. <laughs> yeah, I'm really, yeah, yeah, really good one. Well, Kirk, yes, sir, are you ready to give us your your next one? Yes, you've been decimating my list here, <laughs> left and right, folks. So I'm scrambling to, to stay ahead of you to come up with ideas. I've got one kind of uh, out of left field that I'm not sure you guys are going to agree with, but uh, it, it at least popped out in my head. I was thinking of Captain America, and we have already discussed the Captain America versus Baron Blood climax mm-hmm. when Cap mm-hmm. severs, spoiler here, he <laughs> severs the head with his shield. We've already talked about that. So I almost went with that one, and then something else occurred to me. It's like, no, you know, about five issues earlier or so, Cap was fighting and didn't realize who he was up against on an Exxon oil tanker, and two hands come out of the fog behind him in the cover, and it's Mm -hmm. Hyde in plain sight. And Mr. Hyde is as big as the Hulk, and I would argue his depiction of strength is probably as strong as the Hulk. And he just wails the tar out of Cap until he finally knocks him into um, some, uh, you know, unconsciousness. That has always stood out in my mind because we, in the only time that we've seen Hyde that bestial and that cruel has been in the Under Siege storyline mm-hmm. of the Avengers. So I'm going to nominate the, uh, the Hyde in Plain Sight. I'm sorry, I don't recall the issue number of Captain America but it's it's uh, the one with Batron. Batrock. That would be the issue number is uh, two fifty one and two fifty two. All right, um, I'm gonna go with that because uh, you know when thinking about boxing and and one on one, that's one that Cap loses in terms of raw strength, but he overcomes the trap in the next issue uh, with some ingenuity and cleverness. And uh, with some help, of course, with Batrock. Um, but uh, I thought the, the uh, you know, just the, the depiction of Mr. Hyde 
elevated that one for me. Good pick. Well, that's that's always regretted by Cap because he is one of the le- lesser powered um, heroes, but it's his training, his conviction, his character that usually brings him out on top. Yeah, and I always thought of Batroc as kind of like Captain America's, um, you know, when French, Doc French Ock counterpart. Was, well, no, it's like the Doc Ock, you know, Doc Ock, the way Doc Ock used to be portrayed in like the, the 80s and 70s where he just thought, you know, that he was never, ever going to be able to beat Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, just he always wanted he had an inferiority complex to to the character. And Batroc has always had that inferiority complex to, to Captain America. Mm-hmm. And uh, I actually appreciated when they had in Captain America – was it Winter Soldier? They had uh, George St. Pierre play Batrock. Batrocks. Yeah, and I thought, who better to play him than somebody that cheats? So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> did I say that out loud? I'm sorry, Gabe. <laughs> but he didn't, didn't like Batrock. <laughs> they should have portrayed him as he, as he is in the comic. Mm-hmm. Should have made him look like Batroc. Yeah, it should have given him the, the, the pink costume. Yeah, and the twirly, and then, uh, the twirly mustache. <laughs> yeah, it's <laughs> called that. It's great as a character. Yeah. Yep. Oh, Brian, boy. Brian, I think that's, you're... That's... And, you know, the thing, the other thing you can point out, the cover of 251 has got um, Hyde coming up behind Cap, and he looks like the Hulk. That's it. That's and it. Todd Todd McFarlane would ape this image many many times, uh, first in Infinity Inc. with Solomon Grundy, and then yep. finally when Hulk. he got when he got the Hulk title, he would use that that same image for the Hulk many times. We just see his teeth. His teeth are uh, the only thing yeah. that's showing out of the shadow. Yeah, room. everything's everything's in silhouette. Okay, well, uh, with uh, the pick of three sixteen by Tim, uh, Hulk three sixteen by Tim. I had to adjust my list a little bit, but uh, what I've got here at number three is uh, something actually very, very new, and that's X-Men Elseworld issues eight through ten, the X-Men, the Avengers, and the Fantastic Four against the new Sentinels uh, sent out by Sebastian Shaw, and uh, just... uh, you know, looking at those those issues there, there was just so much great battle going on left and right with all the characters. But it all culminated in this grand spectacle battle in New York City with all the Avengers, all the Fantastic Four, all the X-Men, except for maybe Sue Storm and a few others, really beating in on all these old Trask-style Sentinels. Mm-hmm. And it was just a blast. And, of course, we got like a... A, a flash all over when, you know, they would sit there and show other characters, Alpha Flight characters and Brotherhood characters and, you know, just uh, being attacked by Sentinels all around the world. So it gave you this grand scope of the story, but then it all distilled it down into this one gigantic battle that fortunately was able to end thanks to Reed Richards' ingenuity. And this was just like a John Byrne, Donnie Brook full-on battle, all sorts of fun fight bits and pieces going on. Every character from Wonder Man to Colossus contributing something to the battle. Mm. And then Mr. Fantastic fixing it again through the, in the end through Ingenuity. And then you also get to see the death of Sebastian Shaw 
being crushed and having blood come out of his mouth, just like Quentin Jaws, mm. which is the, the the thing that ties it together because Sebastian, uh, not Sebastian Shaw, but Robert Shaw, yeah. who played uh, Quint, was the model for mm. Sebastian Shaw for John Burns. Yes, mm. yes. And I think it, it was based off of a, his character in a movie called The Freebooters, if, I'm, if I remember right. I could be wrong in that. But, um, but yeah, that uh, – so X-Men, Elswin, uh, I want to say it was eight, eight, through, 8 through 10, issues 8 through 10, Avengers, X-Men, Fantastic Four against the Sentinels. Just uh, all-out battle, all-out fun. Uh, I'm still waiting for someone to ink those issues, which nobody <laughs> has. Uh, Everybody's inking the easy pages. <laughs> <laughs> so I got to move that on my list since I had uh, made, moved others around. Okay, who's next, Nigel? Yeah, I was just gonna say, yeah, that was good from what I remember when I looking at the Elswain stuff. Yeah, I thought that's a, this is a great battle. It's a pity it's not a real comic. <laughs> what do yeah. you mean it's not a real comic? It's a real uh, comic. You can read it. It's got yeah. co- images on the page. Characters fighting. Fun. Agree to disagree. But it was not ever published by Marvel. I understand that, and and, and I understand what you're saying there, but I'm just like... If it was, yeah, if it was a a real comic or two, uh, I'd love to have that, yeah. yeah. Is blood coming out of my eyes? Okay. I mean, mean, the thing is, is that how can we not call it a real comic book when it is better than so many of these things that are getting published (laughs) today? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm not going to fight that. I'm just, I'll, okay. I'll, I'll, I'll just let it go right there. But if there's not blood well. coming out of my eyes, I'm sorry. <laughs> I won't take long on this next one because <laughs> it's already been raised. Yeah, it's uh, my third pick was uh, Marvel two in one fifty, the thing battling the thing. Ah. Um, so we've already sort of heard about the story. Uh, just one or two things that. I'd like to mention, I guess, I made some notes about it. As I said, yeah, you mentioned about the artwork and with Joe Sinnott inking that it was still nice. He didn't kind of overwhelm the burn pencils. Yeah, I agree. It was really nice uh, artwork, clear images with the classic look. Um, Great splash page when the thing first comes face to face with himself. Yeah. That's a good good one when the when he sees him and it's like what? And then the fight sequences are drawn well, as I'd mentioned, uh, with many of the pages being only like three panels to a page, so you get a lot of good artwork there, clear and up close. And then another splash page as the the uh, shall we say the present day thing. KOs his former self with the clobbering time, yeah. And I like the way as soon as the story was over, which I said was mainly three or four panels only per page, the very next page after the fight is done is a nine panel aftermath page. It's funny, I didn't even notice that until you brought it up. There's a lot of things, yeah, he gives him the potion and you've got like three panels where you see him change from the thing back to Ben Grimm and then the time the time platform comes back and arrives for the thing and he gets underneath that 
and then it leaves you with the thing who's turned back to Ben Grimm and he's wondering, you know, well, what happened? I'm Ben Grimm again. And who was that guy? Yeah, who was that masked man? Yeah. Uh, and he's gone. And then, of course, the final page, the epilogue, where Ben learns his mistake. Because <laughs> he's like, why have I not changed, Reed? And then he goes, uh, well, that's because you've created an alternate reality. Mm-hmm. Oh, down, yeah. <laughs> and the humorous comment, which, uh, Brian, you've already mentioned as well, <laughs> about I'm a regular Robert Redford compared to my <laughs> former self. Yeah. Well, I thought in, in the, the movies he was handsome. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Don't they Better look yes. into Michael Chiklis? <laughs> don't, uh, don't they establish? A, it's, a it's a classic story. Uh, fight, yeah, yeah. Don't they establish? He's... Not only it's during Burns' run, but don't they establish later that the reason why I know the the uh, cures work because subconsciously Ben Grimm didn't want to change back because he was afraid that yeah. Alicia would mm-hmm. not love him. I think that but is it, Burns' work. Is it? Yeah, yeah. That, that's uh, the issue where Franklin Richards has his little grow-up moment. Um, mm-hmm. Not too far after, uh, well, yes, yeah, Sue, Sue comes back from a television interview, mm-hmm. and uh, all the rest of Ben and, and uh, Reed and them are all out, you know, and then she comes across uh, a guy looking like uh, Blonde Jesus uh, <laughs> that's got Johnny in his hands, and, and you know he's asking him questions, and Johnny doesn't have the answers, and he puts him down and Sue realizes that it's Franklin all grown up. And it's because of something that happened uh, in the previous uh, issue with something telling Franklin to grow up. And he just yeah. somehow. Well, that's where heart. you see Frank, the, the level of Frank Franklin's power. That right. And puts a damper on himself. Um, mm-hmm. That's where he mm-hmm. converts. Does he, he, and it, converts... at the very end of it, at the very end of it, he was going to cure Ben and Ben says, no, what are you talking about? No, no. And Franklin takes a look into his mind and then goes to Reed and they have a mental conversation and it's Reed that has to explain, yeah, Ben is afraid that if he turns back to human that Alicia will not love him. Yeah. And he, so therefore do, he, he that's why he will never, you know, become human again. But doesn't he change it back to his from his kind of yeah, he changed dinosaur it back to hide back form. to his rocky side, yeah. 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 Gets and then Berm is actually able to that was how Berm was able to morph over to the model that he wanted to use mm-hmm. rather than sticking with more of the George Perez, Rich Buckler yeah. model, which he kind of been doing up to that point. Cool. So, yeah, so that's a really, really a, a good pick. I mean, of course, I'd say that because I, I picked it too. <laughs> <laughs> well, since we burned one of yours, Nigel, do you want to use one of your alternatives? Uh, or a backup? Well, the one that I, yeah, going back to, as I said, I had a bit of a second thought. Before I chose that Hidden Years one, I had originally got X-Men 140 as my fifth one, which is the Wendigo. Wendigo. The Wendigo. Wendigo yeah. Wolverine, Nightcrawler, and the Alpha Flight members, Guardian, Sasquatch, and... Uh, Snowbird fighting the Indigo. Yeah. So that was originally going to be my number five till I changed it. Uh, so, I mean, I can say that made it for a time. That was going to be one of my my choices. That's a good choice. Uh, it was that's, almost, a good, that's a good almost, fight. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, almost on mine. Yeah. Yeah. 
with the, the Wendigo chasing, yeah, chasing after Nightcrawler to begin with and then yeah. whacking him against the cabin where the other guys are all talking about, how are we going to find the Wendigo? And then, oh, he's here. <laughs> he found us. No, no. Yeah. yeah. And so then they all have to, yeah, uh, they all think about how they can try and stop him. Wolverine even has, yeah, Wolverine has a vicious go at him, yeah. But even that doesn't, I think he puts him down for a while, yeah. Yeah, he has a full-on berserker him. rage. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and, and then he, but it's Snowbird yeah. changing into a Wolverine in the end to actually defeat Sasquatch. But then they have to, they have to kind of get Snowbird to come back from her Wolverine self because she sort yeah, of lost her herself in the, yeah. in the creature. Yeah. Yep. And Wolverine's the one who talks her, talks her down. Yeah. One of the things that, I really that, loved about those issues, though, was the flashback where they show Wolverine in his very first costume taking on the Hulk and the Wendigo. Yeah. Yep. Love that. Cool. Well, that's good. I, I and, and that, that would have been a, a, an excellent choice as well. Now, Tim, mm-hmm. can you hit us with a number two? Is it something I that nobody's just, touched uh, up on? Yeah, yeah. So far, nobody. I, I guess apparently I'm burning everybody else's. Nobody's burned mine, uh, so to speak. My number four is, and this is an issue we've covered on this on the show, is mm-hmm. Alpha Flight number ten from May 1984, entitled Blood Battle. And this is the story that introduced me to the Super Scroll, and why he became one of my favorite characters, thanks to. And it's a good solo Sasquatch story. And, and again, it shows kind of the raw power of Sasquatch and just the, the, the cool, the way I love the way Byrne draws the cool combination of the Super Scrolls powers. The way he, you know, he's stretching with Ben's uh, rocky arm or he's got, he's stretching with part of himself on fire and the way he combines all that. So You know, in been, fan... The second Fantastic Four movie, Rise of the Silver Surfer, I honestly think that they were aping some of Burns' imagery. They were absolutely were. Yeah. When they did Johnny having all four powers at once. Yeah, that's that's the other reason why to do that. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we covered this, and I don't remember our episode, but you and I have covered this early when we started the show, mm-hmm. so it's in the low numbers. Yeah, and for me, that was greatness because um, while I may have read the issue once, I, I must have skimmed it. I didn't really read it until we actually got down to do this. Mm-hmm. I think, look, I looked it over for the artwork, and I love the artwork, but I didn't really read the story. So it was, it was really a, a pleasure to do that one because it's such a great story in itself. Um, the, the story of the Super Scroll, uh, after the Marvel team-up stories that Byrne and Claremont did are some of the better, you know, stories out there in Marvel comics. So being able to read some of that and read, read the arc of his character that carried on. And the fact that Byrne was able to follow up on that really uh, just made his character a much larger one in the Marvel universe, I thought. But, and, and this, of course, really was was almost murder to it you know it's like a stake in the heart so yeah well Byrne was always good at when he would get on uh, a book where he was writer artist he would resurrect something he'd worked on earlier so i think he worked Mm -hmm. on the 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 marvel team up with spider-man and miss marvel 
where the Super Scroll was atomized or something. He existed as a as a, he he was actually sent into that beam that was sending his power to him. Right, and then when the and that's scroll world was destroyed he got shot back to a satellite on earth mm-hmm. and then somehow he beamed down i guess the the research station beamed him down and he re reincorporated and destroyed all that killed the people and then that's why yeah. sasquatch is up but there reincorporated with cancer but reincorporated right. with cancer yeah yeah, yeah. Kind of same way. That's uh, a good one. Uh, same way. Uh, Captain Marvel got his cancer from. Oh no no no! Not him. Uh, Nitro. Nitro. Yeah. Nitro got cancer that way by blowing up a uh, canister and then re reincorporated. He. But, but didn't Nitro give Captain Marvel his cancer? Yeah, theory. That's, you know, it, yeah, I think they said yeah. that that Maybe. that he's the guy to give Captain Marvel his cancer. Yeah. I never got the impression that it was intentional. But that was just a byproduct of the battle. Ah. Yeah. Well, honestly, if you got in battle with half the characters in the Marvel Universe, you'd be walking away with 12 different forms of cancer. As much radiation as out there. <laughs> it's just you know, a, no, a no-brainer. But, you know, I mean, it, it's it's the Marvel Universe, so you get superpowers instead. Uh, well, I like Burns' approach when he said there are far too many radiation accidents in the Marvel Universe. Let's combine them all. Uh, Spider-Man... <laughs> Doc Ock, Sandman, we're all going to have them derive their powers at the same moment from, what was it, Spider-Man Year One? It yeah. was one accident that triggered all of their powers. And I thought that was that was not a bad thought. That, that a lot bad. of people really got rubbed the wrong way by that. <laughs> I know, I mean, yeah, just, I'm, yeah. I'm one of those. I don't think everything has to tie in. I know that was a, kind of the basis of when Cameron was going to do the first Spider-Man movie, James Cameron, he was going to have the accident that created Spider-Man and Doc Ock be the same thing. So, yeah. All right, you ready for my next one? We yes, ready. we are. I need a little bit of help on this. Um, I'm trying to remember the flow through the FF when they fought Galactus. Ah, do they got not, Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Do they meet? Gladiator before or after? After uh, the, the after after uh, it's issue two forty two. They fight Terax, mm. and then and, and then in two forty three they fight Galactus, and that is my next pick also. So I've got to cross that out and put no, on my. On. <laughs> I was I was not saying that I was headed for uh, oh. a man versus Superman, um, the oh, okay. versus Gladiator two forty nine and two fifty. Yeah, that's where I was headed on that. Now, okay. I could argue, I could make an argument okay. for when they fought Galactus because the Avengers were included and this was a, you know, uh, multi No, 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 you already said Gladiator, so go ahead and do that one. Don't yeah, go ahead. I, I can say that, except for some reason it doesn't stand out in my memory as strong. Um <laughs> You know, just you know, for whatever it's worth, I, I, it's not as strong as Lee and Kirby's, you know, 48, 49, 50 Galactus trilogy. So um, I like it. Don't get me wrong. And I'll let you, you do it, Brian. But okay. I just yeah. thought the FF versus Gladiator. I mean, they get beat down by Gladiator. Don't they get defeated by him? Yep. At first, yeah. That's so, my I mean, yes. uh, that's my final book, Kurt. So you burned oh, one. No. Oh, thank you. <laughs> I guess I did it back to you. 
I mean, I'm scrambling here because you guys have taken so many off my list. Uh, I've been jumping around here, crossing that one off, then going to a different one. You know, so uh, my list is depleted now. Well, that's a great that's a great pick because it's Burn playing with Superman, but not mm. Superman. And mm-hmm. again, I picked it because one, it's a great story. Uh, it it's part of it, not in this issue, but 250, he does the same explanation for Gladiator's powers that he does for later for uh, Superman. But it, again, mm-hmm. it's just showing just how powerful Gladiator is. Just the sheer, yep. you know, yeah, un- and, unlimited and powerness. You get that bigger branching Marvel Universe in that one also with Daredevil coming in and mm-hmm. Spider-Man. And, you know, you're forced, you at first you think it's the X-Men. And you're just excited because this is the first time Burns drawn the X-Men since you left the book. And they're looking awesome. And then, of course, you get the big scrawl surprise later. Yeah. And, you know, it, it, it just like, wow, this is really, really cool. Because, of course, they're acting odd anyway. And you know that something's not right. So then being the scrolls is uh, perfect. Well, and, it, and it's ultimately they go at him with just raw power and try to basically beat him down. And each one of them thinks they, they've never encountered someone with this level of power. And, mm-hmm. and it's, it's interesting because you brought up the one with Franklin aged himself and this one, Franklin has the opportunity probably he could stop him, but he put these metal dampers on himself. So he can't access that his power, but ultimately <laughs> it's uh Reed's brain. You know, it's not, it's not, you know, it's not fists that defeat Gladiator. It's uh, Reed Smarts. He comes up with a clever idea to uh, basically seed doubt into Gladiator. And that brief fraction of doubt is what lowers his power. He's able to be knocked yeah. out. Mm. Yeah. Um, mm. Yes. Uh, I might as well bet this was going to be my number one as well. Uh, the FF2 really? Four. 250, yeah. Man and Superman and X-Factor. And the reason why I chose it as number one, it was always my number one from the beginning, is because basically this story, for me anyway, it just has everything that you could possibly want from uh, a battle type of story. Um, It's classic story. It's got action all the way through. I'm talking about from the beginning of issue 249. Um, And I like the way, especially in 250, that Byrne, he draws the different characters in the styles of old, well-known artists. Like He draws the FF in a Kirby style. It seems Mm -hmm. to do to me. He draws Spider-Man in a Ditko style. Yes. He draws the well, he draws the X-Men in the style he was using with Terry Austin when they were doing X-Men. And you can see all these subtle differences when you look at these characters, even though overall, you know, it's yeah, it's burn. Yeah. But you can see I'll, I'll go you one further there. He draws yes. Gladiator in a Kurt Swan style. Well, I was going to say, when it comes to Gladiator uh, equals Superman, yeah? yeah, he's also giving us, he's also sending us a message, I think, that I was going to mention this because it connects to my second one as well. But when he drew Count Nefuria mm-hmm. as the super Count Nefuria, he was kind of giving us a Superman then without actually giving it to us. Yeah, it was a bad, bad guy Superman. 
And then here, he's giving us his version of the good guy Superman, who's not Superman, it's Gladiator. But what he's basically saying is, look, I can draw Superman. <laughs> Give me a chance to draw Superman, please, because I'm doing it now. Yeah. And um, so it's kind of like he's saying, yeah, you know, I'd be happy to do Superman if somebody would give me a chance because this, like yeah, yeah, like this, this is all before he actually got to draw Superman for DC. Uh, another thing, there's a great homage panel to the cover of Amazing Fantasy 15 with Spider-Man oh, yeah. swinging, carrying Reed Richards when he's just found his, you know, when he finds him unconscious all over the... Uh, the rooftops of the building. Yeah. So that's great. That's a great homage picture. Um, you get a, one of those cutaway views of the floors of the FFHQ in in what in two four nine, I think, is it? Uh, which they originally did in FF number three, and then in Fantastic Four Annual number one, and then again in FF two or one. So Byrne was doing his version of the cutaway of the FF's floors and all the the layout of their headquarters. Um, you've got guest stars, yeah, Spider-Man, Captain America's in it too. You've got the X-Men, of course, but they're not the X-Men. But and another another panel where I thought it really shows the Ditko-ness was there's a part where Spider-Man's he's come to the Fantastic Four. Oh, when he brings Reed back to the FF headquarters. And then they talk for a little while, and then Spidey leaves again through the hole in the wall uh, where Gladiator had thrown the thing into him in the previous issue. And he webs up the hole so that yeah. Frank won't accidentally fall out. Yeah. But the way he draws the, the webbing, because he's webbing up the hole, that is so Ditko. It is, yeah. That's the drawing, really, is it? Yeah. So well, the, Ditko. The... The scrolls masquerading as the X-Men is, is kind of a yes. throwback to the Dark Phoenix sagas when they, uh, uh, yeah. on the moon, when they were pretending to be the yeah, X-Men. they were pretending to, that's true. Yeah, yeah. So it, it's all, then, it, this this excuse for Byrne to do the X-Men without doing the X-Men just, and doing yeah, Superman yeah. without doing Superman. Yeah, yeah, and I like the way he said, during all the action stuff, which is quite a lot, there's no backgrounds really, but it doesn't matter um, because the battle scenes are still great. And mm -hmm. it's so 60s style, it's very nostalgic. It's like the old Marvels I remember reading as a kid. Yeah. And another blast from the past. Reed, as you'd mentioned, Reed uses his smarts to sort of overpower Gladiator. He uses his thought projection helmet, <laughs> which was first seen in FF27. And he gives that, he puts that on, uh, no, he uses that and he makes Captain America appear like himself. So when Gladiator thinks he's hitting Reed, he's really hitting Cap's shield. Uh, and then another blast from the past, or not, not too far back, Cap has some dialogue in uh, 250 where he, the Nightcrawler Skrull is about to sink his fangs into Spider-Man. Captain America stops him by hitting him with the shield, and then he says something to the effect of like, a, like vampires. Mm. And he's kind of making a reference to what had happened in Cap 254, when yep. Captain America had to fight and 
kill Baron Blood. Yeah, by well, the, the page before that, when the Nightcrawler scrolls grabbing Spider-Man, and he's saying, yeah. I have been briefed on your powers and your endless jocularity. Yeah. <laughs> that was a great line. <laughs> yeah. And then... And, Two forty nine, we should say, is yeah. the most homage cover by Byrne himself. Yes, of yeah. anything. Yeah. Mm. yeah, that's a great cover, and it's uh, yeah, that's definitely the Superman thing. Yeah, and then I thought the title of two fifty was also a good choice. Yeah, it's called X Factor. <laughs> now, obviously, it's meant to yeah, because the X Men are there. Yep. But there's several X-Factors in this story, I feel. Yeah. One X-Factor is how Gladiator's powers work. <laughs> yep. Because he makes everybody seem to think, you know, he's just super strong. But he's not. He's actually got a psychological power. which just Psionic. Makes... Psionic, sorry, thank yep. you. Yeah. Which makes people think that he is all-powerful. But he's not. But he's using that to his advantage. Another X factor, of course, is it's not really it's not really the X Men. It's a set of scrolls impersonating them, so it's not really them. And then Reed's X factor is using his gadget, which he then uses to combat Gladiator's powers and enable them to overcome him. So you could say there's various X factors in the story. Well, that's how I see it. But yeah, this is a great story. All around. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah for this, this to is, come this so is... close to the one Kirk was also referencing, which is the Galactus story. Those were within, I think, six issues of each other. One was like 243 right. yeah. or something. Look, you know. from, from 232 until, uh, you know, the death of Dr. Doom, and was it that 260? 260, 61. Byrne yeah. was hitting on all cylinders, and he was touching every facet of the Marvel Universe that he could, and just hitting hitting everything you know that 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 Lee Kirby uh, era of books did without you know without being need them. yeah without without being needlessly um, uh, sappy about it. I mean, he just did a great job of of reinvigorating the title and showing all these great things. And making them fresh again, I mean, with treating with the proper reverence, and and you know he did that you know for a long time on that book. This is considered to be like the second greatest run next to Lee and Kirby. Yep. And and I I have no problem saying that at all. Yeah, I wouldn't argue that. And but and just you know so most people understand where I'm coming from. I agree with many that say that the the Burn Claremont run on the X Men is the single rate greatest run in comic book history, and I, I'll I'll say that 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 is true. That is it. That is the number one run ever, and I don't think there's anything that can knock that down for me. Mm-hmm. And it's not just because it's Burn. It's just the two of them together had a synergistic gestalt that just raised the level of comics. Beyond just superhero battles, it was great. All right, but so yeah. we're down to our number ones now. No, yeah, well, that was that was <laughs> Nigel's number one. Yeah, but that was that was that was uh, number two for uh, that was his number two though, wasn't it? It's actually the number twos that were on, yeah. But yeah, yeah. Let me see here. Um, 
<laughs> so does that mean Tim's next? With wait, uh, that think... was my last. That was my last. I mean, I can oh, throw in oh, an wait, alternative. That was mine. Actually, I hadn't. I hadn't. I, I'd mentioned mine. My uh, my number three. I hadn't gotten to two yet, but um, yeah. because Kirk had what he had, that's what yeah. brought that up. Yeah. Um, mine is Fantastic Four 242 through 244, the Terex Galactus uh, story in battle, which Gee, of course brought in familiar. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Which brought in the uh, the Avengers with the Fantastic Four. It also brought in Daredevil. Um, and it is uh, I gotta pull, I was pulling these up so I could sit there and look at those really really quick. But uh, I mean, you guys know the story. Terex comes to Earth. And uh, through a series of actions, actually chops off the top of the Baxter building. And New York gets encased in a force field. And Sue Storm uh, makes it opaque so nobody can you know, see what's really going on. But Terax basically takes New York har- uh, hostage and tells the Fantastic Four, you either need to kill Galactus, I'm killing everybody here. And just at the very end, you see Galactic- Galactus's ship appear there over New York. And then in the next issue, 243, you know, Galactus shows up and uh, the Avengers and uh, the Cap, I mean, the, the Fantastic Four and the Avengers uh, end up having to fight Galactus. And Galactus is at this point greatly weakened because he hasn't fed in a good long while. So the Avengers and the Fantastic Four working together are able to, to fight and defeat Galactus in a really incredible battle that uh, just seems to go all over, using not just the X-Men, I mean, the Avengers and the Fantastic Four, but the powers of Doctor Strange, mm-hmm. who Byrne doesn't get to use enough, as far as I'm concerned. Um, but uh, he, he makes Galactus scream. And then uh, Reed shoots Ben into uh, Galactus's face, slingshot style, and Galactus actually falls in a gigantic one-page image, mm. which is just beautiful and historic. And, of course, in the next issue, uh, Reed Richards convinces everyone they have to save Galactus, who's dying at this point, because he's continued to shrink as he's expended too much energy. And they create a gigantic converter of power and uses Thor's hammer to power it to uh, give Galactus his power back. And then Galactus takes Nova, or um, what's her name? Frankie, Ray. Frankie, Frankie, Frankie Ray. Frankie Ray, yeah, as his new Herald Nova, and says uh, says to them as he's leaving that he actually considers Fantastic Four friends. Well, so really, yeah, a, another another reason that the Earth gets spared because he saved him, mm-hmm. and it yeah. leads into the trial of uh, Reed Richards. All these stories are building <laughs> on each other as it goes along. Yeah. Yes, and and again, just greatness. But this battle. And just getting everybody to work together and play their own parts in that. I mean, that was the thing that made the Fantastic Four under Burns' direction so great, is that they everybody was in character, and they stayed right. in character the entire time. And you had no doubt when Doctor Strange came on that he was Doctor Strange, and he was the master of the mystic arts and could do whatever he could do. But I think the reason why Byrne didn't want to do much Doctor Strange is that he found his powers to be too easily able to fix anything at all. Mm. You know, so he didn't he didn't do them too much. But when he did utilize them, he utilized them pretty well. 
But I, I just uh, I just adore that story. It's one that I go back to every couple of years and have to reread. Uh, it's one I've shown my son, too, and it just blows him away. Of course, I do that along with the uh, the other one, the Gladiator. So falls into the uh, same same area there. But, yep, Fantastic 242 through 244, Terex Galactus. Yeah. Any other thoughts, concerns? Anybody disagree? <laughs> no, no, it's no. good. To, no, no, it, it was close to mine, but I picked the 249 over it when I was making my list. Um, I do have FF260 as an honorable mention on my list, which is kind of... I was really sure you would have had that on yours because you really liked that one yep. so much. Yep, I've carried it before. What's 260? When Terra... Terra X says... Tyros mm-hmm. uh, comes back in Doom, gives him kind of power, power cosmic, but they're burning oh, him yeah. up, and he gets into a fight with Silver Surfer, and basically he's liquefied. See, that's <laughs> the one that I was going to... Are we up to, up to the number ones now? Not yet. Okay, I'll hold my card then. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've got my number two to go, uh, and I'm so glad nobody's chosen this uh, unless it's somebody's number one um, well, my number two I've got Avengers 16516 damn you <laughs> kidding yeah. you got me right there that's 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 Gout Neferia that's on my super, honorable mention the super Gout Neferia uh, Hammer of Vengeance Day of the God Slayer yes where Neferia gets super powered and attacks the Avengers. So, which Our happens very in first one... episode, Brian? <laughs> From one six five, yeah, uh, he tricked those villains into. He was using the villains to attack the Avengers, and then he sucked up all their power. And the guy, what was his name? Professor, forgot his name. Hauptman. Um, no, that was the guy who was with Doom. It was a short oh, right. name. Something like Sturm or it might have been Sturm or Stern or something like that. Anyway, I got it right he, here. He has a machine. It's not that, Roger Stern. No, <laughs> not Roger. It was something like that. Anyway, but anyway, he gives him the just like major powers, really beefs him up, and then he attacks the Avengers. Kenneth Sturdy. Sturdy. Sturdy, yeah. Right, yeah. I thought it were ST something, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes, yeah. And so Nefaria comes and takes on the Avengers. Sort of, they attack him as a group, but he just sort of knocks them away, wipes them out. They even Wonder Man, Wonder Man beats on him, and it's like he's just not feeling anything. And then he just hits him and knocks him straight through the the wall into uh, Avengers Mansion, wrecking his new costume that he only got, I think, a couple of issues before, totally ripped to shreds. The one that thank, the beast... The yeah, one thank that the goodness. Beast, yeah. Sorry, I'm just saying thank goodness. That's a hideous costume. Right, like that, yeah. And so the Avengers regroup again and attack, but again he he's just knocking them away, and then in the end he thinks, oh, I've had enough of this, and he actually just pulls down a building on top of them all, and believes that they've been crushed, and off he goes. Um, 
And then Iron Man arrives because he had not been there at the time and he uncovers the Avengers <laughs> from the building and they've survived because uh, Wonder Man and one or two of the other heavy guys have managed to hold up the, the supports in a pocket of air. So they all get out and they all start arguing about, you know, where was Iron Man when they needed him because he's been toing and throwing and... Then Nefiria comes back because he's looking for Thor. He's decided that he wants to beat Thor to prove how superb he is. And he, he seems to have this idea that Thor's hammer's got all the power and he wants that. He wants Thor's hammer. Anyway, Thor's not there. Uh, Iron Man attacks him on his own first, much to the chagrin of the rest of the team, because they're like, oh, yes, yeah, so now you're going to come along and tell us all to stand by so Iron Man attacks him, but he still can't make any impression on Nefiria. Uh, still can't sort of knock him out or anything, and Nefiria's fighting back. So then the whole Avengers team attack once more, but he takes them out again. And just as it's looking really bleak for the Avengers, they've just about all had it, and Nefiria's about to kill them. And Thor arrives. There's a flash of thunder. Thor appears. So we then get a great battle for the first six pages of issue 166 between Thor and Nefiria. And Nefiria actually stops Thor's hammer. There's a, there's a page where Thor actually swings the hammer at him and he stops the hammer with his hand. Catches it, yeah. Yeah. And so it's like, uh-oh. And... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, can't seem to do, uh, although Thor's holding his own, he can't seem to do anything to defeat Nefiria, and, and vice versa, Nefiria's a bit getting a bit annoyed because he can't overpower Thor. Uh, yeah, it's too bad, he, he, he came just one moment from grabbing Thor's hammer. Yeah, uh, and then, of but course, they, the vision. Yeah, at the same time, yeah, back in the Avengers mansion, the... Uh, Yellow Jacket is trying to revive the Vision, which he does. Vision comes out to start helping with the, the battle. Um, but even though he's in his sort of ethereal form, shall we say, where nobody should be able to touch him, Nefiria can still hurt him. And also, when he attacks Nefiria, tries to put his arm inside him, he can't. Um, and Nefiria is still able to smack him in, in his diamond-hard form. So even Vision's having trouble fighting Nefiria. And then, as it goes on, the rest of the Avengers regroup and join the attack again. They join the attack with Thor and Vision. I think everybody but Captain America, who's still a bit woozy, so he gives his shield to Wonder Man, which kind of honors him. You know, he's like, oh, wow, you're giving me your shield to use in battle. He's really taken aback by that. So they're all trying to attack Nefiria, but they're getting weaker. But Vision decides a diff on a different approach. So he drifts up into the sky about one mile up and then goes to diamond hardness and just drops, just drops himself from about a mile up onto Nefiria, uh, which finally takes him out because, yeah, I mean... The Puts a big hole in the floor, and yeah, that finally knocks Nefiria out. So they're able then to take some action to stop him from, you know, regaining consciousness and starting fighting again. 
And that's it, that they make quite a mess of that area of Manhattan. Isn't it revealed that he's, because of the process, he's dying, he's aging rapidly? Yeah, yeah, Professor Sturdy tells him that he's aging because of this and he's going to die. But then later at the end, that's revealed. Apparently Yellow Jacket talks to Sturdy before he dies. And he said he was just lying to uh, Neferia about that in the hope that it would stop him from fighting and that it, it will age him to begin with, which it did, but he won't die. He, he, he was he basically become immortal. Yeah, but in Iron Man later issues, yes. um, he did age yes, heavily. He did age. He yeah, aged yeah. a lot, and then in a battle yeah. with Madame Mask, who's apparently yeah. his daughter, yeah. uh, Iron Man accidentally kills him. That's it. There's the, it's the accident where something crushes. He's on kind of like a, he's in like a stasis tube at the time uh, because he's really old and infirm still. Yeah. Yeah, Iron Man, during that battle, yeah, uh, they drop a Jupiter, like a Jupiter landing uh, machine on him, which destroys his, his like, crypt, if you like, where they're keeping him alive. So that kills him, although he still comes back. <laughs> he still comes back later. Yeah, he rejuvenates again, because it's, it's a bit like Wonder Man, and yeah, he rejuvenates. Well, yeah, because they, they just wanted to, I mean, they, they wanted to bring him back in one way or another. They were going yeah. to. I mean, it's the standard comic book villain thing. Mm. And they they brought him back in, you know, when Kurt Busiek and yeah, George Perez were doing yeah. the Avengers. Yes. They brought him back and allowed him to reach his final stage. Right. Yeah. The Ionic like stage. like Wonder yeah, like Wonder Man or Goliath yeah. or yeah. the others that had gone through that did. Yeah. Mm. But greatness. I mean that that three story arc right there was one of those that that you know that's the reason why we read comics and they did it in three issues. What would it take another book a year to get through? Yeah. You know, easily. Yep. And that was, and again, and that's why we like Burn because that was such a good story. Yeah. Yes, I agree. I agree. Well done. Good choice. Hmm. So, Tim, are we at your number two? I've gone through all mine because Kurt. Oh, oh. FM. So I've I've talked about all mine. Well, well, out let me offer you an olive branch then. Uh, <laughs> for number one, you were uh, very enamored with uh, Fantastic Four 260. And I was going to talk about that uh, that um, Terax Silver Surfer Doctor Doom fight as not a direct slugfest with the heroes, with the FF, but I thought that confrontation that rushes out of control very quickly. Mm-hmm. That Doom wants, he keeps wanting Reed Richards to show up. It's like, no, no, don't fight them yet. You know, where's Richards? Where's Richards? Well, Richards has been kidnapped for the trial of Reed Richards, which is going to come. But the fact that they are are uh, grappling hand to hand and that uh, it's going from bad to worse for Doom, uh, I always thought that was just really a pinnacle there because you see the desperation that, that uh Doom has that Terex is burning out. The Silver Surfer steps in, who I have always thought was, you know, you talk about Doctor Strange being um, too powerful or too, you know, mm-hmm. having the ability to resolve anything. I've always felt the Silver Surfer 
having the power cosmic when he's at full power has always been way too powerful uh, just you know off the charts uh, beyond any of the the marvel heroes yeah. if he's done correctly so you know having him then grab Terax and they go rocketing around destroying everything and ultimately dropping on doom uh you know i always thought that that crater that that uh you know demolition uh of both Terax and doom was pretty pretty impressive now obviously we know how doom escaped i won't get into the spoilery uh switching bodies and all the rest <laughs> that is that uh, sleight of hand goes on but boy that i you know that was i that would have been one of my top picks and well, so then, tim i offer that as it as on, an affirmation of yours it's on my it almost made my list uh and we have okay. covered it I, it was on my honorable mention because it's got the single best panel mm-hmm. where the surfer flies by and grabs Terex terrace by the beard when he grabs yeah. him off the ground <laughs> by the short hairs spread. as it yeah, is yeah yeah <laughs> just snatches him up by his beard uh and again, well, for me, you know, yeah. Go ahead. I'm sorry. No, I just say it's just it just it just lays groundwork for stuff that goes on later. You know, it followed up on the previous story. You know, uh, with Terex, it, uh, mm-hmm. it leads to what we think is Doom's death, and leads mm-hmm. to uh, you know more stuff later on. So, but that was I think Burns' strength because he, he was in the book for so long. He he layered in stories and we come back to revisit them. And he laid, and he could tell a longer storyline without it dragging it out. He could resolve it, but he could lay the seeds for stuff later on. Yeah. Okay. Well, I I actually the way I did my list was you know because I I didn't want to do all the Avengers or all you know this because there were so many battles that were good with the Avengers. There's so many battles that were good with the X Men or the Fantastic Four. I limited myself to one per team or one per book actually. Okay. So my my the the next Avengers story I would have picked would have been Avengers 183 and 184, the Avengers versus the Absorbing Man. Mm-hmm. And these this is a great couple of issues inked both I believe by Klaus Janson, and um, showing the the Avengers going through all the trouble they're going with with Henry Peter Jyrich, which in itself is funny all the bureaucracy and what they had to deal with with that. But the battle alone, you know, going just one villain, the Absorbing Man, and uh, the, basically the lead-up was he was in a battle with the Hulk at, like, I think the Ajax site, and his body got separated because he'd broken down into something, like glass or whatever, and it wasn't until the, the trash dumpsters all dumped it back at the city dump that he was able to recorporate mm. and then, you know, try to get out and do something. And so... He does that, and the Avengers immediately, I think it's Hawkeye that calls the rest of the Avengers, even though he's not really an Avenger anymore. He'd just been basically kicked off the team by uh, Henry Peter Jyrich. Mm-hmm. And so, the, but he's sitting there trying to fight him uh, using his bow and arrow, but the other Avengers come in, and this includes uh, Ms. Marvel and the Vision and Iron Man and the Wasp, and they all get locked into battle with, with him. And of course, he uh, goes into like the engine room of this uh, steamer ship and comes out as this boiling hot metal giant creature at the end of the issue leading into the next one. And uh, let me pull up the next one here. Isn't, isn't Crusher Creel's motive. He just wants to leave the country. Yeah. He just wants to, he just wants to get food, drink and a chippy. 
<laughs> is, is, is is how he put it. And you know, he goes for a yeah. woman that's wearing a jumpsuit with um with uh, what do you call those bell bottoms? <laughs> Burn yeah. loved to draw the bell bottoms back in the seventies and eighties. For some reason, he just had a big thing for them. Though their 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 you know area in that style did not last as long as his use in the art. But uh, yeah, then you got Beast and others came into the fight. Beast and Iron Man and others get into the fight. Uh, the worst part though comes when Captain America gets involved. Captain America and Falcon and Red Wing come in. And the absorbing man gets a hold of Cap Shield, and immediately absorbs the properties of that, and becomes an indestructible being of that metal. And uh, his Chippy is running around trying not to be hurt, but she's also kind of sticking around Creel, like maybe she likes him, you know. Uh, but for whatever reason, Creel, I think because of the woman, turns back to human from the the, the metal that he was even though he has all this power he just let it go away because of the girl and uh he keeps trying to get away get away from them and then he pushes her away and she realizes he doesn't want her to get hurt he fights the vision and becomes intangible like the vision he basically absorbs the vision's properties winds up falling through the docks and in the water and uh, turns into water at first and then he just like escapes to get away from the avengers and just be left alone right but it was one of those great battles where you see an entire team coming you're thinking they could wipe up the floor with any one villain and here's a guy that is probably one of the dumbest villains out there and he gives them all a big run for his money and the only reason why he stops fighting is he just wants to get away right i just love that i mean just well he was yeah, later he was when he hooks up with titania he just they're just kind of shacked up together and they I don't think they're even committing crime. They're just kind of want to keep their heads down. And they only commit crime when they need money to survive. Yeah, and that's yeah, that's pretty pretty much it. So yeah, that would be my uh, runner-up number two pick. I actually have a runner-up number one pick when you guys are ready. So Tim, are you? Well, Kirk, you did. Oh. I mean, Kirk, uh, Brian, you did. You failed to mention that these have. Both these issues have some beautiful George Perez covers. That's right. Yeah. They do have George Perez covers. George uh, Perez and Terry Austin. Yep. And I don't think I've read these issues. So this really? Is oh, we, we, should, we, should cover, we should cover these two as, as part of There's a, a, part there's of a lot episode. of Burn I've not read. I'm not, I'm not, for being at a Burncast, I'm not going to lie and say I've read everything he's put out. There's a lot of things I've right. not read. Metal I'm trying note. to help him here. We yeah. need to well, do these Avengers issues. I'll do a, I'll do a, a quick... Uh, follow up on mine. I don't have as much information on these because they're my honorable mentions, but uh, one of them is, and we've covered this, Brian, is OMAC number one. That first uh, yeah. half of that book or the first third of it when he's fighting the big walkers um, and he gets blasted in half but, and then he gets resurrected. So I thought, there's a lot of battles in there, but I thought that first one was a good demonstration of how Byrne was going to make these issues much more brutal than other stuff he'd been doing and show more bloodshed and violence. So that was a, almost made my list. Hmm. All right. Well, do you have a number one or we already covered it or? You've covered mine. Yeah. My number one was FF249. Ah, okay. I'm making a note here for uh, David. So I'm, I'm making notes on everybody's. Okay. I was writing uh, that too, but if, yeah, if you're doing them, then you yeah. can send it to Dave or John, yep. not David. Or both. 
All right, Kirk, did you have a number one, or have we already covered it? Or do you oh, have a I've already, I've already talked about it. I mean, uh, which God, one? The none of mine were in rank order. I just kept as people kept picking oh, the you, things that I had, I'd grab for another one that came to mind. So ah, okay, I'm done. Nigel, Nigel, do you have a a number one? Uh, no, we've covered it. It was the two forty nine two fifty FF. Ah, okay. And my last one, since someone picked uh, the Hulk three sixteen, uh, is X Men one thirteen, the X Men versus Magneto. Right. And if you, yeah, I mean, this is one where the X Men had already been defeated by Magneto in the previous issue, uh, and Magneto has trapped them. And uh, in his volcano lair with his uh, little, uh, what do you want to call her, nanny, Nanny to take care of it. And she's got this saccharine voice and treats him like little babies. And they're basically locked in these manacles that keep them from being able to move. But, I mean, the thing that's important about this issue is that in the previous stories, Magneto's completely manhandled this new group of X-Men. They've never gelled as a team uh, you know, in fighting him. And they've always been wanting when they came up against him, even with Phoenix, even with her power and everything, she seemed to, to choke in the face of fighting Magneto. But in this one issue, uh, after Storm is able to, you know, they, they finally reveal Storm backstory where she was a thief in Cairo and she was trained from childhood how to pick locks and wallets and crack safes with her feet and you know, all, all crazy stuff. And so she was able to use her abilities to get them um, out of there. And I'm sorry, I said the, the, the volcano, volcano lair. Was that, weren't they up in the um, it's a, uh, asteroid? The asteroid M, isn't it? No, yeah, astro- no. no it's, it's the volcano. It is, okay. it is the volcano because of how it ends. That right. transports them that's in right. the uh, circus caravan car. That's right. Magneto had gone up. Yeah, he had gone to his satellite during the story. Right. Yeah. And then, yeah. and then he went back down into the volcano to see what was going on because he stopped getting alerts from the nanny. Mm-hmm. And then on page 15 of the story, he goes and he finally goes down there. He finds her. And then all of a sudden, Magneto is hit from four sides. The power of the Phoenix, Cyclops, Blast, Havoc's power. Is it Havoc's power? And, uh, and Storm's power. Okay, so who's hitting him with the other? Uh, Banshee's power. Okay. Banshee. Yeah, Banshee's power. And I mean, but all these hitting them from four sides at once, it's in a massive Kirby crackle and, and energy in this gigantic shiz cow. And it's the X-Men finally working as a team to fight somebody they shouldn't be able to beat, especially when many of their own members are like so full of metal. It's crazy, including, you know, basically Colossus and Wolverine. But they actually were able to sit there and hold their own with them until the volcano itself caved in on them. And force the X-Men to go two different directions. But the X-Men using their powers, they had Storm sucking all the moisture from the air as everybody else was attacking Magneto from all sides, keeping him off balance the entire time. So even Colossus in his metal form was actually able to fight Magneto, punch him and attack him. And Magneto couldn't do anything to fight back because he was so overwhelmed by what the X-Men were doing. And this is just an example of how Claremont was writing Claremont and Byrne were writing Cyclops as a leader, as a, the the mastermind, the tactician, to be able to get the team to work together. It was a beautiful final battle there before the volcano collapsed on them, 
and uh, Phoenix and Beast make it up to the surface while Cyclops and the rest tunnel down to the Savage Land. Spoilers. Yeah. Oh, no, it's 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 forty year old book. Come yeah. on. Yeah. But anyway, but I just thought that that was really one of the X Men's you know greater victories. Now yeah. I am so amazed that nobody and i mean nobody here picked x-men 137 x-men versus the imperial guard the blue area of the moon that that battle i thought long and hard about I it but real came close to the fight between mainly the fight between gladiator and colossus colossus but the only reason why i didn't choose that was because that patently they lost <laughs> you know the heroes lost the battle I shied away from it because it's it's such a high point of the series, and we've already talked about it before. That I just I tried to go for other cons other other conflicts. Me too. I I thought that I it's so well known, and I I thought well I'll stay away from it because I'm sure somebody else will probably pick something from that run. Uh, and also, well, the the one you've just talked about, Brian, the one one three, yeah, that was on my shortlist too. And the reason I didn't choose that is because of the way the fight end. Well, it doesn't end because of the volcano, you know, erupting and all the place breaking up. It sort of it ends the battle before it's complete. Yeah, they. So I thought it kind of feels like. They've been cheated out of their victory because Magneto escapes as a result, and they get. <laughs> when, when I was the, thinking, yeah. when I, I was thinking when I was uh, coming, you know, going over that was how they basically assure a Honda came up with the ending, is because that's what he did in like War of the Gargantuas because he couldn't figure out how to stop the fight between the two giants. He just had a volcano pop up in the ocean and it killed them all. <laughs> so it's like, okay, let's have a volcano go off and everybody goes off their own directions. And that's why I didn't choose it because it was like a disappointing conclusion to the whole thing. I mean, yeah, they were winning. They were beating Magneto for once, but then yes. that happened and it's like, oh, you know, it's a draw. <laughs> but, well, you know, hmm. if if you're willing to go with other stories that we've already talked about, you know, the uh, Days of Future Past with the, the X-Men versus the Sentinels, and mm -hmm. they ultimately lose, I thought mm -hmm. that was a tremendous slugfest. That was a oh. literal do-or-die. Just you know, the one moment where Colossus punches the blob. <laughs> right there. Just That is such a powerful moment oh, when you sit there yeah. and you think about what happened. Yeah. That's... That's that's the better battle that I like from that story, not the stuff that's happening in the dystopian future. Mm -hmm. The battle that they're having in the present with the new brotherhood of evil mutants. How about the X Men versus Dark I, Phoenix in one thirty six? Yeah, yeah, that's a decisive victory. I you know, the X Men all coming together. Yeah, too. yeah, yeah. And then of course Kitty versus the Nagari Demon in one forty three. Yeah, I thought, but you, that's recently been done, and, yeah. all, and I, again, I thought maybe somebody else will take that because it's Christmas too. Yeah, one of the ones I thought of doing uh, for two reasons really was one one eight one one nine X Men. Um, the two reasons being for me, 
it's set at Christmas time, so I thought that would be appropriate for now. Mm-hmm. And it's set in Japan, which is where I am. So yep. I was Very hoping good. to use that, but when I started looking through it, at, you know, what's the fighting like? What's what's the battles? There wasn't anything really that you know took my. I I guess the best fight would have probably been the man when the mandroids come. Uh, you know, when they're at the home of uh, Sunfire and the mandroids come to attack them. And I always yeah. think about that moment where, isn't is it at the end of 120 where, or, or no, what, I don't remember what issue it was where Colossus's hands come out of the ground. But is that a later issue or is that is that in the middle of that? Am I, what they do when they come out of the ground? What, what I happens? I remember that. Yeah, he, uh, there's a I truck coming. I, I can see these hands coming out of the ground, but I can't remember. He does it again. He does it again in a later issue of uh, the Hulk with Doctor Doc Savage. But there was a scene where Colossus was tired of being beat down, and uh, I thought that. Oh, no, yeah, I that. thought it, I thought it was in the Moses Magnum storyline that it happened. And so Fine to me, but I can't I can't picture it there. I, I can see these hands coming out of the ground. I thought it was to like rip the undercarriage from some vehicle or other, or that might be a different yep. story totally. But I've definitely seen that image. Oh yeah, yeah, it's it's on page thirty of uh, issue one eighteen. All right. Yeah. And yeah, it's it's it doesn't take up a whole panel. It's one small panel on a like a eight right. panel eight panel page. So it's towards the end of that Mandroid fight, then, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, the, fir- the first Mandroid fight. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Mm. It's it's basically the page before the last where Moses Magnum yeah. really reveals himself. Mm. <laughs> it's funny because that's the image that sticks out to me most. His hands coming out of the ground and. <laughs> Ripping yeah. the undercarriage from the truck, and I just thought that was such a powerful scene, and it's tiny. It's mm-hmm. <laughs> probably why I don't remember it. Yeah, <laughs> it's too small. Whew. Well, you know, the thing is, in discussing this the way that we have, I've gone through every one of my runner-ups. Has everybody else gone through their runner-ups? Is there, and now, now everyone has talked about their number ones, right? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Has Has anyone got any runner-ups left over? I've got one, and we've covered it on the show and talked about it before, but it's Superman number 22. The price from 88 yeah, when he kills I, the... Yeah, I thought about that one a long time. I really did. And, um, but yeah, I mean, that's Superman fighting the pocket universe Kryptonian villains. Mm-hmm. I even thought about his fight with Superboy, but there's not really a fight there. I mean, it's got a a couple punches, but there's not enough there to... Well, those final moments with the Legion, too, that was kind of interesting. Including the first homage of uh, 249, too. Yeah. Okay, somebody's hitting bells or gongs or something. I'm sorry, I've got a cat. I've got a cat who's crawling around and brushing up against the microphone, so sorry. (laughs) No, it's all right. It's all right. It sounded ominous. Uh, But no, that's... that is a really good one. As far as DC goes, that's probably the the most powerful of the issues that Byrne worked on, in consider, considering it was his last of that first yeah. run. So that's a, that's a really good one. I mean, it, the only other DC book that we really covered, well, you had Omac. I had and Omac, you had and I had other Action. Issues. I had Action. Yeah. 
584? Uh, uh, is it the 584? Uh, 586. 586, okay. I, I, thought, I, I thought of DC, and I couldn't think of anything really... And you think it was Superman, there would have been a lot of great stuff, and there was nothing that just really stuck out. And, and I mean, the, the biggest problem is the book that you would think that would give you the most bang for your buck, there would have been Legends. But Legends didn't have any knockdown, drag-out fights for all the characters that were involved in it. I haven't seen that. Yeah. You know, looking yeah. at the, the fight with the, the devil dogs or whatever they were called, it, even that was kind of weak sauce. Yeah. It didn't yeah, give you... The, it, that, yeah, the only other I looked at. Sorry. <laughs> no, go ahead. The only other thing that I looked at from DC uh, was Wonder Woman because I got John Byrne's Wonder Woman run, mm-hmm. and there's a story where she fights these kind of facsimile villains that are being created by like a computer. Yeah. Uh, and she fights Sinestro, and then she fights Doomsday. Yeah, I remember this. Uh, and that battle with Doomsday is pretty good. The artwork is fantastic during that battle with Doomsday. Yeah. I, I think the thing that, that makes it not as powerful as these others is that you know or eventually know that it's not the real thing. Yeah, yeah well, there's, yeah, there's yeah. that. And then, of course, when, and when it I diminishes looked, it. That was another one of the ones where when I really looked at it, I thought, well, yeah, but it, the, the fight's not quite as grand as I remember it when I first read the story. It's over too quickly, and then there's that. Yeah, it's not the real doomsday. Uh, and also, I think Hercules, or the, what's their version, Heracles, um, he also yeah. is in that. He comes and lends a hand against that dooms, doomsday facsimile. I, I yeah, thought now I... Superman won. With his fight with Metallo, but mm-hmm. I'd recently covered that, and I thought, well, so I went and took a late look at his action work with Gail Simone, and there was some really good build-up to what could have been great fights, and then at the last moment, it just turned into a discussion, and that was Superman and Black Adam, you know, and I thought, okay, we're gonna get to see a good battle here, and then no, no, not really, no. It, it's it's not going to be that. But it, it, the thing is, it's the Black Adam more like the one that was in the movie recently where he is the protector of that land. And, you know, yeah. So it was interesting. It wasn't um, unappealing, but it just wasn't a real battle. And then you could also look at his uh, Etrigan work. But the I thing about his et- yeah. et- with the Etrigan work, what you see is yeah, there are some battles, but the battles that you actually see take place in different times in different places and don't feel real. Because they're not, I mean, he has some things that happen that are part of the DC Universe proper in Metropolis or other cities and whatnot, but those aren't the battles. The battles wind up taking place in a medieval land in a different time with the, 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 the Eater of Souls or whatever you call them. But, I mean, not, nothing seemed to be, it didn't feel as real as, you know, a lot of the other stuff. And so, therefore, it didn't uh, carry the weight, I, didn't carry the weight. I even looked at some of his next men stuff, and just nothing uh, just popped out at me. Nothing was really uh, sticking well, with me. You know, there, there, there are two or three different levels of burns. He's the intricate plotter 
with the mm-hmm. long, ongoing subplots where you get a little taste here, a little taste there, a little taste there, and it's all being woven together. And that's one level of burn output. And the, while I very much enjoy that, and that's what really you know, keeps me buying his stuff, they're not the heavy hitters, the, the, the big fight, the big confrontation. And, and so, you know, Next Men doesn't fall into that category. The Submariner, you know, Namor, the Submariner series doesn't fall into the category of really big knockdown, drag them mm-hmm. out fights. There's a long, intricate, woven structure in there mm-hmm. that, that doesn't really pay off when you get to 25, but that's another story. So, <laughs> you know, it, it, you can't judge all of his work saying, is it a big blockbuster? And if it isn't, then it's no good. It, yeah, but it's they're written to different sensibilities. But I think you you actually brought up something interesting there when you brought up the whole Namor storyline. I mean, in in Namor, you actually had that great invader storyline with the uh, what, what, yes. what, what do they call that super Nazi guy and Master Man, yes. uh, yeah, Masterman, yeah, Masterman and Warrior Woman or Wonder what do you Wonder Warrior or whatever. Right, but was that and, a big bite? But, but was no, that it, a big bite a, because a cataclysmic no, slugfest. No. No, and, and, and none of the issues of Namor really gave you those cataclysmic fights. And just around the same time that he did that, he'd done OMAC. And OMAC, it w- of course, had one of Tim's picks in there. And OMAC had the last great, you know, great stakes, great fight, boomba out there. After that, Burns' style of writing, as well as, as his art, didn't give in to the kind of stories that did that much. It wasn't, again, until... Um, we got all the way to uh, X-Men elsewhere that we started seeing those kind of stakes being brought back in because his yeah. style of writing got away from it. He started telling more smaller stories. Yeah. I mean, I, we didn't really talk about uh, Superman, Batman Generations because there was a lot of cool stuff in there, but there wasn't right. any one battle that you could sit right. there and point to and say, yeah, this was the great slugfest. He didn't put it in there. He... The, the generations played more like a Scorsese movie. Yes. You know? Yes. And so, yeah, it just it was the maturation of him as a writer. He got away from those kind of slugfests. This is why he doesn't go back. He always goes forward. He's not going to sit there and do Fantastic Four again. It's uh, it's well, just the way he it goes. Unless to do Fantastic Four elsewhere. But he won't. He won't. He said everything he had to say. them into the X-Men elsewhere. Yeah. You know, yeah. So he's already had his say. You know. Yeah, he he is And Doom came in, back. As I understand it, he is completely done. He's he's not gonna do anything more unless it unless there is something that can really spark him. He is retired, he's done drawing. Uh, he'll be back. If he's if he's only I'm, scribbling and doodling, he I don't think he can stay away from it. He's too creative. Yeah, he may find some other outlet. Maybe he's going to go back into writing. Maybe do more computer work. Something. But well, it's been what two and a half hours. Are we done, guys? Yeah, I think I think think we we are. are. It's been almost three hours. Nigel, thank you so much for coming on board again. Thank you for giving us this as a as an idea for this. Yeah. And uh, I hope that you have a wondrous Boxing Day. Thank you. And you. Uh, Enjoy Christmas.
Oh, I intend to to <laughs> let you guys know uh, tomorrow morning we're going to go see Avatar while you guys are recording. My wife bought the tickets last week without you know telling me, so that's why I won't be around for tomorrow if you guys are recording. All right, we'll see. We'll see who shows up. Kirk and I tried to last week, but we had technical difficulties. I think that's resolved now. Yeah, obviously. Yep, sounds like you're in good shape. Yeah, cool. Yep. And, uh, I, you know, missing John and missing David. I, You know, I was in Minnesota this last week. I'd hoped to see David, and we just never could connect. It just was a – we're slipping on the same banana peel, apparently, just not in the same room at the same time. But uh, Merry Christmas to all of you. Um, uh, what, what do you say? Merry Festivus or Happy Saturnalia, Kwanzaa? Happy Holidays. That's the PC. Happy so. Holidays. Happy Holidays. Well, I, okay, there you go. But um, <laughs> wait, I got my aluminum pole over here, and I've got my list of grievances. Oh, so if anybody wants to stay on and listen to that, and oh, I can call my son in for the feats of strength. There, there you go. go. Okay. <laughs> Uh, once again, thanks, Nigel. Merry Christmas to all. Uh, who wants to take us out? Uh, I'll take us out. I right. I want to thank Nigel as well. It's a pleasure having you on, and we will have you back. Um, thanks to having Kirk on. Uh, Brian, I hope everybody does have a nice holiday. Get some rest. Don't work too hard. Um, help you get some nice food, some nice presents, time with family. And I want to thank all our listeners who... You know, we would still do this without them, but it's nice to know that there are people out there that look forward to our shows and download, and hopefully this will give them something to do while they're maybe wrapping presents or freaking eggnog or, or just enjoying the holiday spirit. So I want to thank everybody here, and I want to thank our listeners, and look forward to whatever we got coming for next year. Yep. We want you to write us at gottagetburned@gmail.com. Or you can uh, just send us a message there on our Facebook board, Third Degree Burn. We can also be reached on uh, Apple Podcasts, formerly iTunes. If you left us, leave us a five-star review there, it, uh, allow, it opens the doors to let other listeners find out about us. So, you know, raise awareness. Write a review. Tell us how we're doing. We want to know. If you want us to cover something, tell us what it is. Sometimes. Many times we bring people on the show too when they suggest things. Isn't that true, Nigel? That's true. That's cool. Yeah. yeah. Now, Nigel, can they find you anywhere else? Are you on another show? Are you uh, showing up uh, anywhere? No, not at the moment. I'm on. I'm not on any of the shows. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I'm on Facebook, of course. Yeah. And uh, yeah, that's it. That's where you probably find me. We've got him under an exclusive contract, guys. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> All right, there we go. Uh, so, Tim, again, you were going to take us out, and I just totally ran over you there. No, 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 it's okay. Just, just <laughs> you know, we're we're not formal here. So, again, thanks, everybody, for listening. I want to thank my co-hosts, uh, especially thanks, Nigel, and hope everybody has a happy holiday. Happy holiday. <laughs> Hello, everyone. Hey, I am so sorry that I missed recording live with Nigel and the team because uh, it's always fun to get together with everyone and to have a back and forth about some of our favorite 
whatever our, our top lists <laughs> uh, those are always fun to do so uh, this is John and I uh, missed the recording but I wanted to uh, share some of my favorite battles or conflicts and uh, I do have a top five uh, doesn't mean they're the top five of everything because as we know there's a lot of different opinions and from what I understand um, probably a lot of crossover <laughs> We probably picked a lot of the same stuff, so I haven't heard the guys' lists or uh, even heard the episode yet, so I get to listen live with everyone else, but I wanted to share mine with everyone. So I do kind of have them in an order from five to one, and uh, I don't know how they did everything, but I'll share a little bit about why I thought these conflicts and battles were so, uh, that stick out in my mind. So these are battles that just kind of stick out in my mind. There, are, I mean, I've been reading since the 70s, so there's a whole heck of a lot to choose from, and for, especially from John Byrne. Uh, but uh, I am pretty much, uh, they're all Marvel. <laughs> Those are the ones that stuck out the most because uh, they were, I read them at a very important time uh, in my life, and I enjoyed the stories there. So there's a lot of stuff that I probably maybe could have selected from uh, uh, from other stories uh, other publishers other companies other things that he's done like the star trek or superman and all that i just they just didn't stick out i've been reading them but they just didn't stick out as much as as these did so i'm going to stick with these and uh, uh they're they're kind of fun and i enjoy them so uh the first one uh, or the fifth one <laughs> is uh from hulk 314 and it's really a short chapter of the story that uh, is just a few pages long. And it's Hulk versus Doc Sampson. And I, you know, I just, I never really read Hulk a lot. And I kind of did miss Burns' run on the Hulk because it was definitely not in my wheelhouse by that time. And, uh, but I've read it since. And we read it for a, uh, an episode that we did uh, where we where we here on third degree burn went over the entire run on the incredible hulk by john Byrne. so um so I, probably that's why this sticks out and i was just like i knew there was a hulk battle and i at first i thought it was from the marvel fanfare run which i went and looked at and there was a lot of great going on there actually so that that could be an honorary mention that hulk issue of marvel fanfare but uh, this from uh, 314, just going through it, and this scene with uh, Doc Samson was really intense. And uh, the close-ups and the just the, the, the composition of the, the, the battle here really was intense for me. And it just stuck in my mind more than uh, any other of uh, the rest of that issue, because I went through and I was like, well, why doesn't the rest of this issue, was that the whole issue? It just, it stuck out so much that I thought the whole issue was a battle between Doc Sampson and the Hulk, and it wasn't. It was really just um, that one chapter and that one part of it. So it was um, very intense and very interesting, and I so it kind of sticks out more than other, uh, which surprised me because Hulk is not one of my favorite characters. I really don't have much of an interest in the Hulk, except for a few stories here and there. But it wasn't because of the Hulk. It was because of who was in the story or the type of story that it was. So uh, the Hulk as a lead doesn't interest me. But when he shows up in stories, uh, sometimes uh, they can be very, very good. So And this is one of them. My next one is Namor 12, Namor versus 
Master Man and Warrior Woman. And this is the third part of a uh, three-part story where Neymar reunites pretty much with the invaders, <laughs> the remaining invaders, from uh, the Neymar series in the 90s, from 10, 11, and 12. And we covered, we also covered this <laughs> series on Third Degree Burn, so we're really, uh, we cover a lot of stuff on here and it's a lot of fun. But this one sticks out because... Uh, it's just a personal favorite. Uh, I love the Invader series in the 70s and uh, the uh, the characters and all of that was just really exciting to me. So I was I was glad to see them show up in Namor and when Namor, the Namor series came out of course we had to say when is he going to meet with Cap again and when is he going to meet with Spitfire and uh, when is that going to happen and how and how and uh, he did it and he did it in a great way with uh, this this trilogy and uh, so the the story to me first of all it includes two of my favorite antagonists for the invaders master man and warrior woman and of course it includes the the invaders in a way <laughs> And in, and not in a way, so it's really just cool. So the battle in uh, episode or issue twelve is really intense. I mean, it's just there's so much going on. Namor is in a delusion. He's delirious because his his strength has gone. He hasn't had water for. He's dehydrated. He hasn't had water for a while. And so when Namorita shows up with Spitfire and the new Union Jack. Uh, the uh, he of course thinks that it's the real uh, invaders showing up to combat and he's just flashbacking to world war ii and and those uh, battles with master man and warrior woman it was really intense and really cool it brought in a lot of really good elements there that i thought was fun and interesting to watch and the 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 style was it was in that dark shading thing style i can't remember what it's called but uh because of that it was a little bit not as crisp as i would like it to have been but it did add to the the battle and the the scenario that was going on within namor's mind so it was a really cool way and of course it brought in some favorite characters and brought in them not only in their modern appearance but also in their perceived world war ii appearance was a lot of fun and then of course we get cap showing up which is awesome so um, it was just a, a really great uh, battle for me that i really enjoyed um, reading and reading again and reading again for our our coverage of it uh, on third degree burns burns so um, just a lot of good stuff and uh, that so that that was a fun battle for me or fun conflict to deal with of course it, that's the culmination of stuff that had been going on through the previous two issues so you know it, it did a it was it was one that sticks out in my mind it was kind of at the one of the first ones that showed up when we started thinking and contemplating what our what our top five conflicts were so the that i had to include that i definitely did my next one is Fantastic Four versus Terex from Fantastic Four 259 and 260. Uh, this was just really uh, intense. Uh, I, you know, I wish, I, I thought that, oh man, I, you know, of course there's got to be a Galactus battle or a Doctor Doom battle with the Fantastic Four or something else. And even the battle, so this would be an honorary mention, the battle against Malice when Malice was inhabiting the uh, Sue Storm's body. So that was pretty intense, and that was intense on levels just because 
you know, they're battling, they, they're not battling their teammate, but they are <laughs> in a way, you know, here's this person they love, but you know, being, having being taken over by mind, by another person, and that person is in control of the body that's out to kill them, but yet they, they're hampered because it's in the body, you know, he's inhabiting their beloved Sue. So that really added to the layers of why that conflict is such an important one. But uh, this one with Terax was just really intense and almost to a point where you know, it was very personal and just the the layers are going on and the involvement of Dr. So there was an involvement of Dr. Doom, but <laughs> a little bit, but uh, again, he was the, the, the one who kind of started it and, but it's not directly related to Doom. So this battle with Terax was just really, really uh, potent, especially when I first read it. And then when you get to the end of it, it's like, wow, it was just a, a a wow conclusion so that really stuck out in my in my mind as well uh, and yeah you know it kind of surprised me that I couldn't uh, bring forth a, a Galactus battle that uh, really stuck out as one that I would want to include in the top five so because uh, I hate I really don't like Terax <laughs> I, don't, I don't like him at all uh, but uh, this was a really interesting story and I think it. I think uh, John Byrne did a really good uh, representation, uh, not only in the artwork, but also in how he wrote it. My next one. So this is uh, number two. Uh, the uh, and this is this is a story because it began. It's it's really potent because it's very much in the early part of my collecting. So it's right after I started collecting comics, and it's uh, Avengers versus Nefaria. From Avengers 166 and this is the part two of uh, the story uh, that began a little bit earlier and uh, issue 165 ended with I think one of the most amazing panels that I can think of that John Byrne has drawn which is where Thor shows up and Nefarious like uh-oh <laughs> Um, he knows he's in big trouble and then it continues on in issue 166 with not only just Thor I mean just these the panels with Thor versus Nefaria alone are just beautiful and very impactful you can see the passion behind Thor and his anger and his rage and just his determination to stop Nefaria from doing what he's doing and then the rest of the issue involves the rest of the Avengers, and I just think that John Byrne did such a good job in creating the personalities of each person in their place in the battle and bringing them forth along with the writing. So uh, this is just, and it's beautiful. I mean, the colors and the costuming and everything to me is just a really, really wonderful uh, conflict and, and fight that uh, happened. So uh, it was just and, and and nostalgic you know it's right at the beginning my first avengers issue that i bought was issue 161 the one with uh, ant-man growing and then punching uh, the avengers and scarlet witch is being covered in ants and uh, then of course i bought previous issues but 161 was the first one i bought off the news off a of spinner rack and then of course i picked up the the following issues but this was just 
to my 12 year old mind was just really cool so it's just stuck in my head uh, so that's uh, Avengers versus Nefaria in Avengers 166. So my number one, and this is this is a tough one because there there's so many other there's just so much to choose from, and it's from the X Men. Now of course uh, there's going to be a lot of X Men battles I think chosen <laughs> unless unless the guys purposefully stayed away from them for obvious reasons because they're just so obvious. But um, this this battle is uh, pretty really um, an intense one and one that was just really powerful at the time, especially for me. Uh, but uh, but there's a lot. So some of my honorable X Men uh, John Byrne battle issues are uh, the X Men versus Magneto from the earlier stories, uh, the X Men versus the Imperial Guard in X Men 137. And uh, even even a couple of panels from X-Men 108 where Wolverine is battling Joff and Joff is battling the X-Men to before they to prevent them from getting into the Macron crystal. Uh, so uh, that battle with Joff and Wolverine actually was quite quite good. But um, and then the other one that so this is the one that I really had to think, do I want this battle with the X-Men or the other one? So uh, the toss up is. The uh, and my second place for first place is X Men versus Dark Phoenix from X Men 135. Now I know that's probably a, a, a no-brainer, but I just think that it was like the Fantastic Four issue. You've got these these the X Men who are battling the person that's a big part of their family, and Cyclops is battling the woman he loves, but she's insane she's consumed with this other rage and this whole thing and but she's to the point where they actually have to stop her which means they're gonna have to hurt her uh, or kill her <laughs> or she's gonna annihilate the planet or the universe so it's it's not just smash them up punch them out you know blast them scenes it, there's so much more a, a part of that that makes that uh, such an incredible battle but uh I decided to choose as my number one instead the X-Men versus Proteus from X-Men 126 to 128. And like uh, the Namor battle, I think because I like it so much because it's, again, it's not only punch, punch, um, zap type stuff, but there's all of that, the psychological stuff going on and, and engaging in the personalities of it. You've got the X-Men having their reality warped by by um, Proteus and and having to fight the son of Mora McTaggart and and he's just insane with rage and wants to revenge and then you've just got all of these different layers and these different scenes that John Byrne wove together and created to make this two and a half issue basically battle uh, that was interspersed with quiet times and stuff. So to me, I, I'm looking at it as the entire conflict of that entire probably three-hour period <laughs> or maybe a couple of days at most. So it just really was intense. And it was a, to me, it was a, at the time, it was a very good story. And it really impacted on storytelling, mem made it memorable to me. So uh, that... 
is one reason and and I picked it because over the Dark Phoenix battle just because uh, they are very intense and close together but because you know I don't think a lot of people think about that one or it gets forgotten in the shadow of the Dark Phoenix saga which is an amazing one which of course we've covered <laughs> uh, probably several times uh, it's been brought up the Dark Phoenix battle but I think in the shadow of the Phoenix saga, uh, the Dark Phoenix saga from that period, uh, this particular story doesn't get covered as often or or it kind of just gets uh, forgotten a little bit more. So that's why that's another reason why I picked it, but I just really love the intenseness of that story. Um, and because it led up to what created, or it led up to the, uh, the culmination of the Dark Phoenix saga, uh, as it was a big part of, or it was a part of that process. But on its own, man, what a great story, and I really enjoyed that. So that's my number one. I've mentioned some honorables. Um, I've heard uh, Kirk told me a couple of some of the other mentions, uh, which are great stories as well, and uh, I appreciate uh, being able to share this as a tag-on. And thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to Third Degree Burn. Really appreciate y'all's support. And we just have so much fun talking about a favorite topic and a favorite period of comics and a favorite artist and creator. So um, thanks a million and happy holidays. Thanks for listening. You can find us and many other great shows at tutufreaks.com. That's T-W-O-T-R-U-E-F-R-E-A-K-S.com. Third Degree Burn is spelled with the number three, R-D-D-E-G-R-E-E-B-Y-R-N-E, and is part of the Tutu Freaks network of shows. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Just look for Third Degree Burn, spelled with the number three, and Burn spelled B-Y-R-N-E. Compliments, complaints, and recipes can be sent to gottagetburned at gmail.com. That's G-O-T-T-A-G-E-T-B-Y-R-N-E-D at gmail.com. Drop us a line and tell us how we're doing. Till next time, this has been Third Degree Burn. Some men aren't looking for anything logical, like money. They can't be bought, bullied, reasoned, or negotiated with. Some men just want to watch the world burn.